Are you there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. I just had okay. instructions regarding the the animals. Animale. Animale. We are not animale. We are not animale. Well, actually, Do we the are. Civil. <clears throat> Who says that? Is that when they're in Cuba? No, it's when um, <laughs> God, what? It's when he is over at his guma's house. And Polly goes there and tells him, no, you, Henry, you can't do this. you got to go home to your wife. So. I was thinking, we are not com- after all, we are not communists from The Godfather. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm thinking so animale, of, communist. I'm pa- thinking of Polly's line from yeah. Goodfellas. We're not animale. We're not animale. <laughs> Murder people and all that, but we are not animale. So. Oh, so, so this have, is our second movie in February. We're right on schedule, which yeah. we like. Don't. Um, do Do you remember from the seventies the Uncola? The Uncola was the it Seven Uncola. Up? Seven Up. Yeah. Seven Up was the Uncola, and then I thought, well, I can't bring up the Uncola without mentioning the actor who portrayed famously uh, the spokesperson Jeffrey Holder. Okay. <laughs> this is a cola nut. These are <laughs> uncola nuts. <laughs> so this is the un Valentine's Day movie <laughs> we yes. decided to do. We're the anti Valentinos here. Yeah. Just you know, I-, I think people are of two minds when it comes to Valentine's Day. There are the cynics who who say, oh yeah, another hallmark. Uh, day to to you know harass us and the others who who take it as a calling to be extra nice to their loved ones i remember i got valentines from my mother i liked that yeah uh, we always gave i mean that's usually the first people that give you a valentine's day card but when you're a grown-up it's just this horrendous pressure (laughs) screw that (laughs) i never felt it on valentine's day yeah how random. And maybe in like middle school. Maybe, in, you know, in grade school, I don't know if you had this where, you know, you had to write Valentine's and you put the little pocket on the front of your desk and you'd sort of hand them out. And if you had a good teacher, she'd make sure everyone got Valentine's. Oh, yeah, some. that was that was required. That's would say Juliana. Do the whole the parents had to go get the Valentine, you know. The package of Valentine's Day greetings with the yeah. sweetheart. Is it the sweethearts? Yes, be mine and all that. Yeah. And and um, and then it's a lot to ask of a seven-year-old. But oh, well, my parents used to make me sit there at the dining room table and fill them all out you know, with, the, <laughs> with the roster of the class. Okay, you need to give one to Javier. Jimmy, be mine. Jenny <laughs> H. Uh, Jenny C. <laughs> But I remember making the little baskets that go on the front of the desk, and that was very pleasing with construction paper, and scissors, and Elmer's glue, or paste. Better they, have paste. Now, in high school, they had something cute called kissograms. Oh. Yeah, and Key Club used to sell them. They used to sell kissograms, and they were like little yellow construction paper with a, a Hershey's Kiss on them. But when one party has the lion's share of, of delivery... Creating the romance and the whole shebang. Yeah. I used to get a bunch. 
Yeah. <laughs> you recommend? I don't know. No, I don't know if I gave out a bunch or received a bunch, but I do, do know it was a thing to sort of compare. Like, did you get 16? I only got eight, you know. I think it was more of a you bought them for your friends Yeah. in high school. So should should we introduce ourselves and the film we wish to speak about? Well, my name is Beth, and your name is... (laughs) Sam. And we are together... The Celluloid Pudding Podcast. Yay. Yay, golf club. Welcome. What's the saying? Wherever in time, space. Wherever in time, space, or on the globe you are, welcome to the Celluloid Pudding Podcast. Yes. We we tried to pick a theme, right? And the second in our, well, our Valentine's Day movie is from 1989, The War of the Roses, directed by Danny DeBito and starring Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner. The War of the Roses. The War of the, <laughs> the Roses. As Baba Wawa would say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is a, I think it holds to this day. I saw it back in 1989 when it was released. And that was a, a December release. I think that used to always be a thing, a, a November or December release, a, a kind of serious big movie, and then the summer blockbusters were kind of a different theme, usually. And they had worked together, these three, on in, uh, Romancing the Stone. Yes. And what was the sequel called? I can't remember now, that now. Romancing the Stone, yeah. was it Jewel of the Nile? Jewel of the Nile, yeah. Didn't, was, were there three or just two? Well, I thought there were two, I if there were three. Just two, yeah. I don't, I don't know. But the, so the they, trio, they all had great chemistry yes. and love among them. Yeah. When they were filming uh, Romancing the Stone, much was made in the tabloids and entertainment news that Kathleen Turner was being difficult. She was giving you know her co-stars a hard time. But she just had issues with the way the script was written. Oh, I and did not know that. I guess the, maybe the female character didn't have as much agency. And uh, they came to an accord. She kind of stood her ground. And and the fact that they made three more pictures tells me that they they have a bond, these three, don't don't you think? I I think so. I did see some outtakes, behind-the-scenes type of footage, and you see Michael Douglas greeting Danny DeVito with a big kiss on the forehead and then goosing him. And, of course, you see Kathleen Turner being a little haughty, Mm -hmm. but also playing the part of haughty. And yes. doing a mad kiss with Danny DeVito, so I think they're very close. I think they under. I think after three pictures, you probably really understand each other, what they need to be successful yeah. as actors. Yeah. And I would say now I've seen *Romancing the Stone*. I haven't seen *Jewel of the Nile*, and I've seen this, and I, I think this is their best picture. This the- is definitely their best picture, and I do think DeVito, Danny DeVito as a director, is highly underrated. He doesn't use a lot of cinematic tricks, but his cin- cinematography or, or whoever he, he gets to envisage or, or bring to the screen, that, that vision is so seamless. Uh, and, of course, Danny DeVito, if you've been on Earth for any amount of time, you know he started with this sort of great character actor role in the wonderful series Taxi. And this cantankerous little man, uh, what was Louis De Palma? I think his name was. Yeah, I think it was Louis De, Louis De Palma. And he's been a producer behind many great stories like Pulp Fiction, uh, Garden State. I'm trying to think what else. Um, Matilda. I think that might have been a direct. No, he directed Matilda. 
and Death Fish Smoochie. And one of my favorites, Throw Mama from the Train. I love that film. And it's I really want to do it. Owen loves his mama. Chris <laughs> and it's one of my favorite Billy Crystal roles too. And I just, and it was basically inspired by Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train. And it's just brilliant. Both films are excellent. And I would recommend that, uh, that's a great double feature for a Sunday afternoon. Watch it the, really is. Watch the Hitchcock Strangers on a Train and then, then do the, uh, yeah. throw mama from the train. It's, it's just brilliant. And there's something about Danny DeVito's eyes that can go from gentle and beautiful to kind of wicked and deep and dark. And you, I, I mean, I first noticed that way back with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where he's he plays sort of a bit role of that ensemble, but he's really memorable, I think. Did For, he play the penguin in the first Batman? He did. I, he was a great penguin, I thought. The man has so many talents. and so much range and he's married to, to say a about lo- lovely Rhea Perlman who has been in many yes projects and they've been in a few things together Matilda right. is one I know of I think she was on Taxi the show a few times and apparently DeVito had a great a really great relationship with James L. Brooks who also produced War of the Roses and many other things of course we were just discussing or, or reminiscing about a film called Baghdad Cafe that came out in the 80s at some point. And there's a main character in this in this wonderful little fringe film. And she's a German actress by the na- name of Marianne uh, Sagebrecht. And she does play a part in War of the Roses as well. And I, I often wonder what happened to her. She had a wonderful presence. She did have a wonderful presence. Apparently, uh, I think she's been in German cinema quite a bit. Oh, good. Because she does have a Wikipedia. It's extensive and it's not not in English. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and I, I forget to note that Rhea Perlman has a very important part in the film Barbie. At the very, That's very right. End. Yeah. I had forgotten that. So. Uh, I'd also like to mention that, that War of the Roses was such a big hit that in Germany in particular, it was called the Rosenkrieg, um, you know, War of the Roses, literally. And it's come to mean a contentious divorce. And even on uh, on news outlets, if, if there was a high-profile divorce, they would refer to it as a the Rosenkrieg divorce. You know, if anybody says that today, if they've ever seen the movie, like, oh, we're kind of going the way of War of the Roses, people know what you mean. The, uh, it's to the mat. Contention. <laughs> so the film's based on a book by William Adler by the same yes. name, and you you had mentioned the screenwriter. Yes, and that is Michael J. Leeson. I do know that the author also wrote a sequel called The Children of the Roses, and that's never been brought to the screen as far as I know. Mm. And there's something about a Broadway production of the film being underway, and uh, and it has been made into a play before. I'm imagining that it would be musical. I don't know why. <laughs> Seems like a lot of ad- adaptations are. Yeah. Or the roses, the musical. I just can't see. I can see Oliver singing. You know, stopping like I'm going to be on the fish. In his I, I, can, I, I can see it though, and I could see it being successful. My whole thing is, th- it needs to be dark. There. Yeah. And even Devito said this is the type of humor he enjoys. He enjoys mm-hmm. dark humor. A disconnect between what you're seeing and what you're feeling. Kind of schadenfreude, right? So you're finding humor in, in, in well, that's finding pleasure in somebody yeah. else's misfortune. But 
It is sort yeah, of. There, there are some things like swiping the cat off the counter that I'm just offended because I like cats and don't right. do that. But some other people might think, ha, okay, there's a sight gag. There's a practical gag. You know what it there is? There are a lot of. What? I figured it out. There's that line from Rocky Horror, the call and response yeah. line. I cry at weddings and laugh at funerals. A take on humor that is sort of contorted, uh, yeah. turned upside down. Yeah. Seeing, seeing something that could be upsetting for some people, like you said, like that, that one scene with the cat. Yeah. And then as other people find it hilarious. So. Yeah. Uh, there's another sight gag that involves a lot of those old-fashioned rat traps, mouse traps, I guess, that, that go off. And, and that would hurt like a son of a bitch, but in the situation... Uh, or lurking over the bidet after something happens. Uh, yes, horrible things are happening. And yes, I think you're right. There's a bit of schadenfreude, like he had it coming or she had it coming. <laughs> it could be, it could be. Yeah. yeah. And, and we're talking about brinkmanship in, in the worst way here. Uh, yeah, one up. If you look at the, the Roadrunner cartoon, that's kind of oh, a yeah. good good example. Yeah. Because it, I, I have to say, though, I always was on Wiley's side, even though. I always rooted we for Wiley, to too, and I don't know why yeah. I felt so sorry for Wiley. Yeah. I mean, he's a genius for for a coyote. And But it also gave me the impression that Roadrunner birds were the size of ostriches for some reason. I thought they were yes, really so huge. Roadrunners are, are tiny. They're tiny. But, yes, we, we laughed hysterically at the misfortunes of that poor coyote and all the dynamite. All the TNT and all the Acme product, all the money he spent on Acme products. I know. And and maybe that gave us a false sense of safety as well and well-being. Like, yeah, this huge anvil can fall on my head from from the cliff, and I, I can come out of it just fine. I don't know. But there, there's a lot of that humor in War of the Roses. Partly it's the un-Valentine movie. Yes. But the way the film opens up. It's sort of the cautionary fable. <laughs> I, I think DeVito very much had in mind a cautionary tale when he, he received the script. So I don't think that he was in on on creating the script or, or getting it written. But he received the script and said, this is what I like. Absolutely. And knew right away it was going to be Kathleen Turner and, and Michael Douglas. Oh, that's that's lovely. So how does the film open, Sam? Well, there's a, a sort of continuing frame story. It's not just a frame. It, it, we have segues to a, a lawyer's, an attorney's office, nicely appointed, you know, the leather seats and all of the law books and the crystal. There's a beautiful credits sequence that really features David Newman's music, which is a little bit carnivalesque and nothing too dark. But it tells you something really big is going to happen. And the credits are sort of rolling over what looks like linen. And oh, the first cut. I immediately Sorry? think of the marital bed when I see the. Yes. Yeah, but it's not. <laughs> we find out later. And it's all very lovely, beautiful font and roses here and there. And, and these sort of ribs in the sheets or folds in the sheet. But the the sight gag is after the credits cut to Danny DeVito's character, Gavin, blowing his nose in, into a linen handkerchief, That's exactly. and he is about to give a cautionary tale to somebody seeking divorce through his services, his legal services. He's telling him, I get $450 an hour, but this story I'm going to tell you, yeah. if you're willing to sit and listen to it, 
This is all free. This is all on my time. And I'm going to share says, Go ahead. When a man who makes $450 an hour wants to tell you something for free, you should listen. <laughs> That's a great line. And he starts off, he's, he's lighting a cigarette, and he's conveying to his silent cl- client, I don't think he ever says one word, the client, uh, he says, 13 years. I had quit smoking for 13 years until this big thing happened. I even had that last cigarette that was in my pack before I quit enshrined. I had a special case made for it, <laughs> and I didn't touch that cigarette for 13 years. And then you get the gather closer children kind of look. He's going to tell the cautionary tale of the roses. I love the mm. sort of the old Hollywood. Uh, oh my God! Brush strokes. Yes. From the credits, like you were mentioning, sort of the 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 um, font looks very old Hollywood, very yeah. glamorous. I don't know if it's noir, without being noir, but there's mm. a little bit of element there, especially when you know because he sounds like. A, talking like the the pi that had this encounter with this beautiful woman but you know that when there's a heavy contrast in the lighting and maybe it's top lit i I don't have all of the technical vocabulary at my disposal but the eyes sparkle there's that glint in the eyes and there are great shadows shadows and light and even though the film is in color you're right it has that noir look about it those contrasts and as the story gets more and more ruthless those contrasts become stronger and stronger. I love how this, the story starts. He said they met, which mm. was great by both he, meaning by her account and by his account. Mm. When they met, the meeting was great. But I do like the line he said. You know, people would look from the outside would look and say, uh, you know, it was it was like a fairy tale. Fairy tale. But I never understood this line, Sam. The way I saw it, they never stood a chance. I, I think after a certain point in the film, after the loophole that we'll talk about, that this one thing that neither one of the characters can let go of, mm. that you know, no, neither one would compromise on that one thing. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful way uh, that we segue from the attorney's office with DeVito telling his would-be client about this cautionary tale uh, we cut to Nantucket during a nor'easter, so we have Kathleen Turner looking so lovely, running through the rain with her suitcase over her head, and she spots an estate auction uh, tent, and she runs in there to get out of the rain. She's looking at all the nice things. Now, there's a – you can go on YouTube. There are clips of uh, Danny DeVito talking about the outtakes or the actually working on Nantucket in the summer. Oh, Okay. So it shows her leaving, last day of work. She says to the other waitresses, bet me $50 that I would have a romance this summer, and I didn't, so pay up. All right, so that's where let me take off with that. The editing was so perfect. You, then, you know how the old saying, kill your darlings? Yes. Well, DeVito killed his darlings beautifully to create this seamless, beautiful story. But that's where she gets the $50 to, to outbid in the uh, estate sale. Ah, because you see them both. They're getting into a bidding war because right away Kathleen Turner's character, Barbara, spots Michael Douglas, who's very serious about this auction. He has his auction catalog and he, he knows what he wants. And she's sort of thunderstruck or whatever the term is, right? When she first sees him, sort of does the little hair check. 
and doesn't have any interest in the the Japanese carving <laughs> that Michael Douglas is after and gets into a bidding war. I don't know the rules of bidding, but she only goes a dollar above. I don't know that she's not interested. She looks like she's checking out some of the other items. She does mm. note that he's young and he's attractive, mm. definitely. Yeah. And we've got a longer-haired Michael Douglas in his prime. I don't know how old he really is in this, maybe early 30s, you think? He's probably like 37, 38. Yeah. Oh, okay. And and she's just lovely. I mean, they're, they're, they're both a, supposed they're to beautiful look like they're, people. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're both supposed to look like they're in their 20s. And I will say yeah. this. When she walks into the tent there where they're having the auction, Kathleen yeah. Turner looks like she's about 22. She could actually even pull off 20 years old. I started thinking yes. of... Peggy Sue got married and yeah. how young she's able she was able to make herself mm-hmm. that trend. Now that was a feat and that was not, you know, CGI or anything that's you know predates all of that and she could do it. That was she just acting. Yeah. Much younger than say a 28-30 year old. Yeah. And this film, The More of the Roses, spans a period of what? Probably 19 years, 17 years for their marriage and and who knows how long since, you know, Danny DeVito I think he says first eight to eighteen years of marriage because he calculates the remember the the payout he wants to give her later. The way I coveted this carving for some reason, I thought I I would pay fifty dollars for that. But the first item up for auction is a beautiful Japanese carving, circa seventeen hundred of a Shinto goddess. Now I did rewind because I'm a little anal on this, and Oliver uh, looks it up in his catalog. And it's worth about $250, and he, he's going to bid $10. And it its provenance is Chinese, so I'm, I'm a little confused about that. Like, was there's, it Japanese there's another Chinese? scene that's that's uh, that's cut out where he's yeah? correct. He's telling her, you know, that's not Japanese; it's Chinese. Oh, yeah. Okay. There's another scene there where they're actually they've left the auction and they're making their way to the ferry. Okay. It actually okay. shows them going up to the ferry together, and she completely misses it. Oh, okay. Well, well, I caught that in the catalog and, and even went back. Good for you. Know, you. Pause, pause. Chinese, Japanese, what? Anyhow, he's going to lowball the, the, the guy and, and thinks he's going to walk away for $10 or so with this, with this beautiful carving. And she's sort of on her side and it's a very sensual looking piece. Maybe a palm's length. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe eight inches long or, or thereabouts. And she bids against him not because she wants the ornament, but as a, a way of flirting. He says ten, she says eleven, he says fifteen, she says sixteen, <laughs> and so it goes. And there's a third, a third party in there. He throws in a bid to thirty dollars, which yeah. kind of bumps it, or twenty or something, and that bumps it up. And he says thirty, and then she just goes fifty dollars, and he doesn't have the money for, or forty, and she says fifty. Yes, and he's reaching deep into his pockets, and and he's he's going to Harvard Law School, but we don't. I think he's on fellowship or on a um, scholarship. He, he doesn't come from deep wealth, but would like to acquire it, and he's well, very he, ambitious. He makes and sense. she's also on a scholarship, but for gymnastics. Well, I know what you think, Harvard Law and all that, but mm. he is. I'm just brilliant, so we kind <laughs> of get get a a sense of you know he. He is intelligent and brilliant, but he, yeah. he kind of volunteers that. I'm brilliant. I loved her humility. She said, I'm not rich or brilliant. I, I I got a scholarship for gymnastics, but my body's getting a little big. 
and yet I can still do the strength moves. And then we get a, a lovely handstand split. <laughs> That's probably not her, but yeah. No, I looked closely for the the stunt folk this time, and yeah, yeah. I love Nantucket. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he says something like, crazy idea, but, and then cut to a, a lovely love scene. Yeah, they have the sex. And you can see the pennant for Harvard on, on his wall. And, yeah. Um, and I guess from the outtakes that, that weren't in the film, she mm. doesn't make the ferry. There's this other lovely scene where they're just sitting under an awning mm-hmm. on the pier there where the ferry is, and it's just pouring rain, and they're sharing a bottle of wine, and they're not really speaking. Mm. They're just kind of sharing wine in the rain, pouring down, passing the bottle back and forth, and then they, I guess they wind up. Oh, well, I, I think it was a neat cut. It's nice to know that. She looks up at one point, it's lashing rain, and she says, I love the rain, but he's staring at her chest because, of course, her, her blouse is soaked. <laughs> and she doesn't, isn't wearing a bra. She has really got a lovely figure. And cut to sort of coitus and then post-coitus, and there's a great line in there that Barbara utters to Oliver. She says, if we end up together then this is the most romantic day of my whole life. And if we don't, I'm a complete slut. And then Oliver says, this is the story we're going to tell our grandchildren. I write in my notes, really? Are you going to tell them that part, the coitus? I don't know. I'm not saying she doesn't love him in the beginning. Mm-hmm. She does. But I think she's there's, a, there's an element to her that's a little bit more about risk and sort mm-hmm. of in the moment that he isn't. You know, I, I think they made love, and she says this this might be the most romantic, but that's because she's not really thinking much beyond that moment, that no. day. In, in fact, she makes some very traditional heteronormative decisions throughout this, where she is in the more submissive role, and she defers to Oliver until she doesn't. Because I think it goes against her grain. She She's strong, literally strong. She's She was a gymnast. And she's not as educated as, I mean, she she went to college. I forget the state university or something like that. And she has a talent as well. In, in addition to gymnastics, she's, she's a fantastic real chef, but w- without the credentials. I see her more as uh, sort of an, an unfamous aspiring Martha Stewart in a way, though, because she's yeah. she's got more talents than beyond... Beyond the, uh, she does, and she has a good eye for investment. There, there are two coveted items, and I do love when we cut back to Danny DeVito and he's advising his silent cl- client. He said, my dad always said, you can judge the worth of a man by four things, his house, his car, his wife, and his shoes. So until Barbara finds that house, he's not going to be a complete man, a, a successful man in his own eyes, in Oliver's eyes. Yeah, and he who, wants, who finds these things? Barbara. Well, we find out later. I mean, how just how important images. We we know he's Harvard Law. He mm-hmm. meets this beautiful woman on Nantucket. They make love after this chance encounter, and then yeah. the next cut we see is it has to be four years later, at least, right? How, something. You know. Yeah, um, Barbara walking through through this sort of city. The film itself is supposed to be taking place in Washington D.C. But it's such a lovely, quaint-looking little town as she's walking through. So I don't, 
I don't know. Are they in Georgetown? He's going to university. I don't know. I have no idea. Well, no, he's still working. He is. Oh, he's 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 past firm. that. He's now low man on the in the firm now. Low man on the firm. got the kid. Do yeah. we hear Christmas carols? Yeah, we do. Yes, we do. And you you see the wedding band, so you know that they're married now. Yes. And if you didn't know that before, we we cut back to Michael Douglas, and he's trying to work on some papers. And the kids, how old do you think? Are they twins? I think they are. They must be. Three, maybe okay, so they're hiding Daddy's paper. Daddy doesn't have – he has a short fuse. And when Kathleen Turner's character, Barbara, walks in, she says, Mom's home. And she's just always cheerful, always being the cheerleader for the ambitious husband she has, always trying to do right by her children. But they have a little disagreement about what you should give your children to eat to, <laughs> to you know, bring up healthy, well-adjusted children. And she immediately hands out these, I don't know what they what are, are, jelly they? sweets. I think they're those jelly sweet things. The they're like, for you and a red one, a red for, one you. for you. And they have a little disagreement because Barbara has read that if you're not deprived of sweets, then you won't become obsessed by them and, and, you know, take, eat too many. And her husband Oliver says, no, no, I think you're just, you're, you're feeding them too many sweets. And in our next cut, our next vignette, we see that maybe Oliver was right. <laughs> yeah. She also pulls this tinfoil star. Now, I thought it was a lovely star. I did too. She is in the Christmas spirit, man. Mm-hmm. She even tosses her waitress earnings on the desk in front of him. She says, well, I guess there is some benefit to working on Christmas Eve. Yeah. For, you know, waitressing on Christmas Eve. So there's a little wad of cash. While he's yeah. working on his papers, yeah. and he's not making a lot of money probably on a uh, low man on the totem pole, and and she's bringing in some extra cash. She pulls out that handmade. Now, I think she made it because I don't think the mm-hmm. kids would have been skilled enough to make yeah. that three dimensional star topper for the tree. Well, I was looking at that thinking, I I don't know if I could make that. <laughs> you know, it's, so I think she did. Yeah, and she she puts it on top of the tree back like he's displeased or upset about something yeah yeah and he walks over there and he says or what does she say she says how does it look he says it looks like tinfoil yeah there's this and she says uh yeah you're probably right doesn't i'll i'll learn yeah i'll get it it. or something yeah like what is she supposed to learn uh, how to be refined yeah. Because oliver is setting the bar for that i suppose yeah apparently so she Ol- feels less than yeah already Oliver's setting the bar for uh, taste, and she will cultivate her taste. It's kind of like, yes. yeah. After that, she says, I'd like to go for a walk. And he says, no, I'm tired. It's cold. Why do we have to go for a walk? And she says, exactly. And yet I'm still asking you to go for a walk. Why would I do that? So, you know, something's up, and he's bitchy the whole way. Now you know that she has a surprise for him, but he's bitchy the whole way. She's glowing and, like the perfect wife from the time she yeah. get, was walking down the street till inside the house. Uh, they walk to the end of the block, I suppose, and then turn around. They've got the two kids with them. And he says, now what? All right, we walk to the end of the block, and now we go back. And she said, no, I, I'd like to go for a drive. And he says, and what? I don't have a car. And he's being bitchy. He doesn't get it until she he looks back and sees, of all cars, what? It's a Morgan. Now, I didn't even. this is the one time I didn't look up cars. But I, I seem to recall Amanda Donahoe driving – was she driving a Morgan in Lair of the White Lair? Lair? I think she was. 
So it, it's in the British style, you know, it's on the right, it's a, you know, British made car, right? And it needs some fixing up, but he's over the moon. He was bitchy, but he's gotten, he, he received a present and he says, she says, are you happy now? De- almost desperately, like, did this make you happy? And he says, more than happy, I'm married. So as long as he's being bolstered, he, he's a happy man. I'm, I'm doing him a disservice because he is he is in love with her. He is in love with her. He asked her, like, where'd you get the money for this? She said, I used my money. Lot. She had it shipped over. Yeah. It's, it's you know, he, she thought of him. Did he think of her? I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out how she did it. That's so, a lot of tables she waited on. Yes. And and that's when we get the cut back to Danny DeVito's character, Gavin, saying, you know, my my dad said these four things make the man, the house, the wife, the shoes, and the car. So he's got everything but the house. And the next cut is to a, a kind of townhouse, which looks very Georgetown to me, but I don't know. And the idea is that Oliver wants to host the bigwigs of his firm, the senior yes. partners, because he's ambitious. He would like to become a partner. So it's a big deal dinner, and I, I don't think that Barbara is very comfortable in this formal situation. As he's transitioning back to the story, he tells the the man in his office, he said, "We were both on the fast track, you know, to to make a we made associate. He wanted to make partner, so he's hosting them at his house, and you see Danny DeVito's character, Gavin, in it. It was a convertible." Yeah, with this very tall, buxom blonde named Elkie. Yes, <laughs> I was thinking of Elkie Summer. Yes, yes, and, and she's a bit younger than he is because I think he makes some some remark like, "You have to behave yourself. We're with the grown-ups. Yeah, we're, we're, we're having dinner with old people." <laughs> Just as he pulls yeah. in, right? Yeah, and so he's he is playing hotshot attorney, freewheeling, successful bachelor. Yeah, whereas. Uh, Oliver, Oliver Rose, mm. is is trying to move up that ladder quickly. Yes, and and appearances are every. He cares what people think about him. He cares that he's wearing the right thing, has the right wife, has the right everything, the right setting, the right dishware, china, the right crystal, everything. In fact, the crystal is is a pivotal moment. The baccarat story. This is where. You realize things are starting to uh, – there are burrs forming under the saddle mm. <laughs> in this marriage. I'm, I'm very angry with him, by the way, during this scene. Oh, okay. He, he First, the kids come in there in their night clothes, and it's been, what, since the last time we saw them? They're about 12 maybe now? A little – yeah, so maybe six years yeah, six years have, have passed, and, and they Seven. come in to kiss everybody goodnight, and they're quite, they're quite plump now. They're chunky. And to diffuse the situation, Danny DeVito's character says, "I was a, I was a plump kid, and uh, I used to be chubby as a kid. Yeah, let's eat." So he's great at diffusing like any speculation that anybody might have had. And you have also Oliver at one end of the table and Barbara at the other end. And you have DeVito and, and his girlfriend for the night kind of playing footsie under the table oh, while she, Oliver tries to impress everyone. It's a glass tabletop, and poor Barbara's down there at the end. And yeah. the Gavin at this dinner party, 
if yeah. not the Gavin that's in the office sharing this story with him. The Gavin that's at the dinner party is kind of an asshole. And yeah. So so when he tells his silent client in these cutaway shots that he's a changed man, a better lawyer and a better man, I, I believe him. He is playing with her foot. He grabs he, his knife from his plate and, you know, rips open her pantyhose because it would be definitely pantyhose time during this. 1989. <laughs> and he's going <laughs> like this. <laughs> under his breath. And she can hear yeah. all of it. Barbara yes. Barbara can hear all of it. So we have back and forthing between the playing footsie sex games under the table that Barbara can see and this woman trying to figure out what the taste is that, that's so special in her cuisine. And she finally says what it's um, figs and cognac. Yeah. The same later, a different one says, this isn't Waterford Crystal. Oliver goes, no, it's Baccarat. The senior partner goes, we're paying our associates too much money. <laughs> yes. No, I don't so this gives that. Oliver a chance to trot out their Baccarat story that they've often obviously rehearsed. Oliver says, well, funny story. Why don't you tell it, Barbara, how we came to acquire such, you know, such expensive crystal? And Barbara is, first of all, mid-bite, and all faces turn to her, you know, like nine people and she feels very uncomfortable and has to chew the rest of her food and then swallow and then tell this story because Oliver wants to impress his his senior firm bosses or, or whatever they are. And she tries to tell the story of how they were in Paris for their fifth anniversary. But the entire time she tries to tell this story, Oliver is interrupting her, correcting her pronunciation for French names and getting so fed up with the way she's telling the story that finally he finishes it for her and says, and that's the Baccarat story, and then does a little flick on the crystal, the telltale sign of crystal, ding. And we know she's very unhappy because she responds with a ding of her own. She flicks the glass and then kind of shoots him the bird with that subtly. Yeah. I've just looked up the prices for Baccarat. It's ridiculously expensive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we have it in the family. Uh, and uh, having lived in Ireland for a number of years, I have a lot of water for it. But, but just, I don't know. They, they hand it out like paper plates there. People seem to be impressed here, though. Uh, they're in bed later that night. Yep. And this is one of your favorite scenes because I know it's it's your favorite swear expression. Yes, I had never heard this word before, so this is an extremely important scene for me. You have Barbara and Oliver in bed, and I write in my notes, this is important, with about five exclamation points. <laughs> Oliver is really self-satisfied and says something like, I think that went off really well. I think everybody had a wonderful time. And Barbara says, and this was one of the cuts during her story that he made for her, she says, to make a long story short, no. And they get into a little tiff, like, what's wrong with you? What do you mean? I'm, I'm a nice, successful guy. And she says that fake laugh. <laughs> so she's mocking him. And eventually he does break down, and they end up sort of mocking themselves and, and, and Oliver's he laughter. And he's like, her. oh, yeah. man, I hope they didn't realize what a jerk I was. Yeah. So you have some sympathy for him after that. But she calls him fuckface. And what... <laughs> They're talking about the story that, that she was appointed to tell. And she said, if you're so desperate for everybody else's opinion, why don't you just tell it yourself? Fuck face. <laughs> and just the complete venom she's able to project with that word, fuck face, made it my very 
favorite serious curse word ever. I adopted it on the spot and said, that is satisfying. Fuck face. <laughs> they do talk about a house, or he talks about wanting a house. Yeah. He wants to get out of the apartment. And he, he's explaining to her, Barbara, these are all the necessary things that we have to do. Yeah. Have to have them over for dinner. Have to have the right crystal. Have to have serve the right food. The these right little wine. performances are necessary to get where we want to be. We want and where we, he uses we a lot, but he means himself. He's the ambitious one. She, she has simpler, I don't know, goals. She would like a, her husband and her children and... I think she does the thing, has, her passions. I think she looks at life differently, and maybe that's yeah. my. That's where I see their marriage just sort of. It. So I like the pacing of this film. How Danny DeVito's cautionary tale with his silent client marks the passage of years. You yes. start at the very beginning, then four years have passed, then maybe another six years have passed. And we get the impression that a, a couple of more years have passed after that little scene, the fuckface scene, the infamous fuckface scene. Yeah. And Barbara is driving the kids, these mean, chubby kids, by the way. I don't <laughs> care what you people say to me out there. They're mean. <laughs> We're going to be late for our practice. And chubby girl is an ice skater. The irony there, right? And the little boy, I don't know, is he soccer or soccer. baseball? Yeah. Soccer. It's and, only uh, like a couple of years later or a year because they they say you've been doing this for over a year now. <laughs> yes. They're, they're rolling their eyes like, Mom, not again, because she has fallen in love with a beautiful house that needs a little love. The yard and the shutters and things like that. But it's palatial. It's huge, but needs love. So she's going to write a note saying, hey, I've loved this house forever. If you ever decide to sell, sell, please call me. So she walks up to the door and somebody answers and says, thank you so much for coming. Turns out she's entering a funeral reception, right? I don't I think she's going to leave the note. And then the woman opens the door and she goes, oh, I was well, I was just leaving this note. She goes, oh. Grandma had so many. Was it? Grandma had so many friends. So many friends. I don't know all of them. And she goes on. You know, Barbara hasn't said a word really, but the daughter says, "I just don't know what I'm going to do with this house. I don't really want it. I don't even care about the price. I just want to know that it goes to somebody who really loves it." And you can just see in Barbara's eyes, jackpot. But in a loving and empathetic way, I think. She can't believe her good luck. They've got the woman who is deceased, who the former owner of the home, sort of laid out in the parlor, old-fashioned. Yeah. Boys. So there are signs. Yes. Maybe, maybe this this isn't the way to go, Barbara. But 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 also in Danny DeVito's office, Gavin's office, as he's advising the client and telling him this cautionary tale it's lashing rain there too so it's a very broody sort of atmosphere anyhow yeah it's again the little breast strokes of darkness around this this sort of from what you from all outward appearances is a lovely successful marriage next scene is the empty house that that is her dream house and oliver and barbara and the kids walking in and marveling this is our house. 
She Particularly can't Barbara, do, are these who is this who we are? People who live in such a, a grand estate? Describe the house. How would you describe it? It's got a, a grand staircase, not to overuse that word, but in, in the real sense of the word, a grand staircase, and it's two stories. It has a um, an incredibly large rondola-shaped foyer with a beautiful chandelier that she immediately notices and also becomes a third character throughout the next part of the film. In some way, yeah. Yeah. It is a sort of classic mid-century, enormous behemoth colonial. Is the only way I would uh, yeah. I could describe it. Something with terrazzo floors inlaid with patterns, and it's just gorgeous. Something that you would imagine, Catherine Hepburn kind of gliding yes. down that staircase in a, in a long yes. <laughs> Yeah, there are a lot of classic elements, even the way they dress. Now, I love the way Kathleen Turner is dressed for this. Um, lots of neutral silks and linens and uh, cashmere dress with a white, uh, wide leather belt. She's just refined and clearly has honed her refinement and come into her own without Oliver's help. He, she doesn't need him anymore for that. But she, she doesn't think like that. She just is. Her taste is exquisite. There you go. She gives off heavy, heavy Rita Hayworth energy. Yes. It, it, the way her hair is styled, mm. very, very heavy Rita Hayworth classic Hollywood Yes. beauty. And, and the lighting sort of accentuates that, the way it's overlit. I, there's a term for that, Beth. Do you know it? Overlight? Oh, I... Greta Garbo had it. She had a special person that she'd only let that one person light her. And and then we cut back to DeVito, and, or maybe it's a voiceover at this point, about how she made that home. You know, 200 Sundays of auctions for just the right ornaments, and these uh, particular Staffordshire ornaments that they, they really like to collect. And uh, what else does he say? Just every inch of that house she perfected in some way. She sweated he says she sweated every single decision. She refinished the tables herself. That's every right. table in there. The floors uh, were to you know, the work that went into the floors, choosing the right plate, the right, every little piece of where a certain plate would go or where some Staffordshire would go. And she sweated every single decision until the point where the kids are ready to go off to college. I have to ask you something about that. Uh, okay. Because, all right, just just as a little segue here, I think they're going to college at this point. But then in a later point in the film, the boy kid and the girl are are going off to college for the first time. So I'm confused. Like, no, are no, you no. Going to they're boarding um, school. Or? No, they because it's an empty house. He points out in his little speech. Yeah. That the house is now empty. So they have gone off to school because. The way I interpret the timing is when they're home, that is Christmas break. When Oliver's making them sandwiches, they're just going back to school after the after the mid-break. Oh, okay. I was confused by the time element there. And so she's done everything she could possibly do, and she's a little bored now. And we cut back to Gavin slash DeVito, and he says, when you've done everything you could, everything you possibly could, could have done to finish the project, what's left to do? 
And then we cut to Barbara telling Oliver a bit of news, right? Yes. I You're think it's up in the bedroom. Right I'm not now, sure. Are you? Pardon? You're not eating pate right now, are you? I'm sorry. Can you hear that? I'm eating a Pop-Tart, so You're nothing is grand. <laughs> I'm going to stop eating now, but I haven't had dinner, so I made a Pop-Tart okay. on the break. I had half a tuna, tuna fish sandwich. It was really good. Didn't you inhale? It was too hot to inhale, so I've been picking at it. But all, uh, she walks in, Barbara walks in, and he's not. he never pays attention to her, which irritates me. It triggers me. He never gives his full attention, like, yeah, yeah, what did you do? And she says, in a very submissive way, she says, hey, um, so-and-so said I make a great pate, uh, so much that, she, that I should sell it. And so I did. I sold her a pound of my pate for $30. And Oliver's outraged, like, what? You sold our friend's liver? Are you crazy? You know, it'll look bad, right, in, in his mind. And she said, yeah. I did, and it felt really good. Even though it was only $30, it was my own money, and it just felt different from cashing one of your checks. There you go. She made feel that money, hard. And it feel felt it, good. feel it, feel it. She's having those first feelings when they were first married, probably. Yeah. Or, you know, it's, he has all of the power, all of the say, even though she has done her due diligence in raising the children in making this house a... a you know, showcase house, she's starting to feel her needs, right? I've done everything. I've launched you to success, Oliver. I've launched the kids successfully. This house, I, there's not another thing I could do to it to make it more beautiful. And after she te tells him about the liver pate, she says very casually, and you know those big cars with the knobby tires and the floodlights, and she can't. I I can't describe it either. What is that? It's, it's a big old four by four. Big old four by four. And she says, I I really felt like trading in the Volvo for that, and so I did. And <laughs> Oliver, she has Oliver's attention now. Yeah. He says a Volvo's a fine car. Why Why would you do that? And she's very breezy, isn't she? Yeah, I wanted it for me. It's only twenty five. That's what I wanted. Which, because you know, time, Oliver picked out her car and everything else, right? Yeah, but at, at the time, twenty five thousand dollars seemed like a lot. That's that's rather inexpensive now. <laughs> I know. I know. When she said twenty five, and I was watching it today, I thought, what a deal for for something that loaded. And we'll see how loaded it is later. <laughs> and um, and she is wearing a khaki dress that is lovely and tea length, and a wide leather belt, which is very much in keeping with the Banana Republic couture of nineteen eighty nine. Couture is very, yeah, but it's also very classic. The lines are very classic too. Yes, beautiful lines. And uh, so Oliver is very patronizing. She says he's like, "What are you going to do? Start your own business?" And she says, "Yes, I think I'd like to do that." And then she's always a little bit hesitant, like, if if that's okay with you, I'd like to do that. So she's asking permission for everything, but she did make those first two moves on her own. She sold the pate, and she did trade in her car. I think even asking him if it's okay is almost a way of, you know, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than for permission. She's already sort of made exactly. up her mind she's going to do mm -hmm. this. But he's a bit of a bully. He's patronizing. He's condescending. He's like, well, sure, I'm not going to pursue it. You know, you'd have to sell an awful lot of pate to, to buy that thing, yeah, $25,000 worth of pate. 
but she believes in her believes in her business sense and her her success and her own abilities. So she's going to make it but, work. But, but but his his patronizing faux acquiescence to her dream just triggers me. He he seems to be saying, "Oh, you're isn't that adorable that you're going to have a little job that you're going to do? All That's right, go on, go for done. it." This is what yeah. they've always done. Uh, and by the way, I want to circle back just a little bit. When they acquire the big house, it's a Sunday, and he says, well, I'm off to work. This won't pay for itself kind of thing. And he says to her, you, have the you get the fun part. Well, this just set me off, Beth. Why'd that set you off? Because I have unloaded three houses in my life by myself, and it is hard fucking work while he's sitting on his ass up at his law firm or whatever. She is doing the heavy lifting. For anyone that has not uh, enjoyed the or experienced the joys of home ownership, and we have a, a lot of young people that maybe have not purchased their first home listening to yeah. us, uh, it's one thing to buy a house, but m- turning a house into a home is that's that's a it takes yeah. a lot of effort to turn it, it into does. a home is a, is work. And and he's made it clear I'm not going to lift a finger. What I do is bring the money home. And you do everything else. But since you don't make the money, I'm going to be very condescending, and I have the higher ground in terms of power. I don't think he's even thinking that, though. He's no, it's his God-given right to be like that. It's not. It's not even here. dawning on him. It doesn't. That doesn't cross his mind. He just thinks that this is the way things are, because that's the way things have pretty much been. He works yeah. on assumption. And he he works on the assumption of privilege. <laughs> That's what I think. Okay. Okay. I just think it's it's a little more simple than that. <laughs> okay. What's more simple than the default being privileged? You you're, you're my you wife. Are sort I'm of the, what you do. Your behaviors yeah. are your day to day behaviors sort of define the direction of your life. Yeah. That's that's how I take. I like the. We get a cut to the kitchen, and they're having yeah. this discussion. Yes, because you didn't you didn't know about the interview. I you know I told you, and and then we get the yeah. first sort of inkling of cat people versus dog people in this marriage. Yes, <laughs> she she's the cat person, and her cat is Kitty Kitty. Not very imaginative, but okay. And by the way, in real life, played by a cat named Tyler, and his baby. He's a dog person. And ne'er the twain shall meet, except for both. You and I are both bipetual, right? We, we well, you ch- try and ambipetual, right? We we take in all sorts and love all that all is, of the creatures uh, of earth. That is a mis- misconception, though, in this film. I would yeah. argue that she is loves all animals. Yes. And that Oliver is a dog person. Yes. But Oliver is also, I love the adoration mirrored back from your eyes into mine, whether it's his wife, the actual mirror, uh, the dog, <laughs> any anything. He, he's cocky and very handsome and charming at the same time. Up to this kitchen argument and the cat's jumping up on the chair and whenever, and, and just as a matter of course, whenever he can and Barbara's back is turned, he, he swipes the cat in a none too gentle way onto the floor. Yes. It's As you kind would, of a sight gag, but it is pretty yeah. funny. Yeah, because she doesn't see it. Yeah. So, and also, I think this job is just as big an annoyance. Like, I just swap that away. Annoying. Have to live with it, but 
Yeah. He and he's urging to, her to get live-in help. He, yeah. He, he has set up this interview. There's a woman waiting mm. in their living room <laughs> yes. to meet with her. And she's forgotten about it or ignored it. And he said, I, I just need you to go in there and speak to her because, well, why do we need to hire anybody? That's her argument. Yes. Yes. But he's like, if you're going to be doing the, the liver thing, <laughs> the pate yeah. thing, yeah. we still need to keep the house up to a certain standard. Yeah. But this was really cute. I loved this interaction between uh, Kathleen Turner and, I'm sorry, what was the other actors? I... Sagebrecht, Marianne Sagebrecht. And she plays Susan in this. She plays the the who the potential live-in maid. And she's a lovely actor, and uh, if you have not seen the indie film, the 80s classic Baghdad Cafe, do so mm. with CCH Pounder, too. Yeah. And Jack Palance. It's a lovely little film. Really beautiful. And we don't see her at first. It's a, a really long and heartfelt monologue of Barbara telling Susan, the character's name, why she doesn't need a live-in person and how others might question some of her choices and how she must seem pathetic. And it goes on for, I don't know, three minutes. It's, it's you know, a fair piece of time in, in, as far as being on the screen. We do cut away back to Susan, who stands. She'd been sitting very quietly and patiently on the couch. She stands and says, I understand. She has a very thick German accent, and I wish you the best of luck. And then the the kicker here is, then Barbara says, right, okay, let me show you to your room. <laughs> so, all the reasons why she can't, she shouldn't, she won't have live-in help. But Susan says, well, I'm taking classes also at William & Mary. Excellent, excellent school. Mm -hmm. and, um, <laughs> and Barbara goes, our, our kids are, you know, I don't, we don't need you because our kids aren't even home now. They're, they're going away to Harvard. And I love how Susan goes, oh, that's a good school, too. I know. That's a good school, too. Yeah. <laughs> the energy she's giving off is so sweet Yeah. Uh, that I don't, you know, and it, you kind of get a hint with Barbara. Barbara is a sweet person because even yeah. after she's talking about all these reasons why not she shouldn't hire her, she, she can feel that this is a a kind woman and, and she would probably like the help. And yes, <laughs> and she does this for room and board as well. This is a woman who needs a home as well. Yeah, that's that's what she does. She even mentions that's that's one of the reasons why she applied. So. Yeah. Lest we think that only Oliver is the obnoxious one with animals, we cut to a different scene in the kitchen. Was it and this time or after this? Because this was hilarious. Uh, it's after. I'll okay. show you where your room okay. is. She's in the kitchen, chopping up liver. And she's feeding kitty kitty the liver. Yes. yes. And she's, she looks at the kitty and she goes, shall we do it again? And she, she, she's like, Benny, Benny, come here. And she makes like she's throwing a piece of the liver. And to Benny runs like he's going to go after it. And she doesn't really throw it. She just palms it and feeds it to the cat. It's the fake out through. Yeah, the fake for, out for throw. the dog. And she whispers to the cat. She goes, dumb dog. Like that. And that's, <laughs> that's, I think that's when, um, when he walks in. But, uh, now I thought that's really mean, but who among us has not played the fake out throw with our dogs? Yeah, I've I'm gonna throw it, and they run after it, and then you, you we've all been an asshole like that. Yes. <laughs> uh, we we cut to dinner, and I'm really beginning to dislike Oliver a lot in this scene because she has made she takes pride in her cooking, 
it's not just cooking, it's cuisine. She's a master chef without the training, right? She, she just is intuitively. And they're at a long dinner table. She's at one end eating very graciously. And he's at the other end, obviously not mentally there. He's thinking about some achievement of him and smiling to himself and just shoveling food into his mouth without appreciating the effort that went into it, the layers, the texture, all of it. And she's just looking at him like, you peasant, <laughs> you know. Except she doesn't think like that. You know, that, those are my words. She's she's just watching him shovel this food that she carefully made into his mouth. This is the culmination of um, when you've been with somebody for a very long time, mm. the little things that they do that completely get under, under your skin that you, you just can't stand anymore. Yeah, and, and probably in the beginning of their marriage, she would have thought, oh, he really loves it. He's really eating that down, and oh, isn't that cute that he has an appetite? And no, that's not cute anymore. I have here in my notes, aggressive steak eating. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally what it is. So aggressive eating the cutting and eating the steak. And Michael Douglas plays it so well because he's smiling inwardly or outwardly and shaking his head like, wow, I, I really brought that one home. He is not there with her mentally at all. She asks him, did you get a chance to look over that contract? Mm. This is for her business. Yep. And he says, ah, oh, no, no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get a chance to look at it. I'll, I'll look at it right now. Go get it. He's really. Well, first she says, that's OK. And then she says. Actually, it's not okay. Yeah. I was supposed to have it signed by tomorrow, and I asked you, that's why I asked you a week ago if you would have a look at it. Mm -hmm. She's very, very angry with him. Yes, because he totally dismissed an important document because it wasn't about him. It had nothing to do with his law firm. It was her little hobby, which is how he views that. He's very, how he views her passion. She, he's very agitated because he's waiting on a phone call. The phone rings and he gets up. He goes, is that, you know, Susan answers it. And he goes, is that for me? And she says, no, it's for Josh. And Barbara wants to know what's what's up, what's going on. And he's got this client that he's waiting to meet with, big, big client, who he says could potentially be up for a cabinet position. With, yeah. So with the White House, a cabinet position. Yeah. And he wants to land this client, but he hasn't gotten the phone call yet. We've cut to the bedroom yeah. now. Yeah, we cut to the bedroom. And we have a little fight, uh, feats of strength going on. He's wrestling her, and he thinks it's all cute. But she's not playing, is she? No, she's not. Well, we know and she's we have strong. To, because yeah, of her. we know she's her core strength is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so so they're on the bed, and he thinks it's wrestle, pre-sex wrestling, but she's not playing. And she gets him in, I don't know what you would call it in mixed martial arts or something, one of these holds with her thighs yeah. that takes the breath out of him. Yeah, she basically squeezes it. I don't know, but she basically puts a leg lock around his torso and starts yeah. squeezing his yeah. rib cage with her yeah. thighs. Yeah. And he's just, oh, oh, you know, stop, stop, uncle, right yeah. away. Before he looks at the contract or he asks the contract, they're getting ready for bed. It's late. And he finally yeah. gets the phone call. He's going to yeah. land this guy as a client. And he's meeting him for lunch the next day. Then he, mm -hmm. then he has time to, well, you know, he's going to be my client. Let me look at your contract. Pretty that soon little contract. Gonna, yeah. pr pretty soon you're not going to be able to afford me. You know, he's very, very full of himself. It's so cocky. At one point he kills a fly with the contract. That was disgusting. 
and yes. disrespectful. It's he he just is very He uh, has no respect for her. Yeah. As an entrepreneur. Hence when he tries to wrestle with her I think she's well within her rights to squeeze all the air out of his chest. I am cheering at this point. But he still doesn't get it. He crawls back to her in a playful way and saying, you think you're pretty strong, don't you? And she just turns onto her side away from him like, you know, enough. Mm. I wasn't playing. Yeah. And he lays back frustrated like, oh, it's it's not leading to the sex, any of this? What's Mm-mm. this about? I don't know. So he's clueless. The next day, he's at his lunch meeting. I don't know who he is, but he's going to be – looks like he's going to get the cabinet nomination. and yes. He's going to have to sit before Congress. And what Oliver is, is tasked to do is represent him in the, in the, you know, the hearings, the nomination yes. hearings. This is a big deal. If you listen to some of the dialogue, that this, this guy's actually um, either an oil or gas – you know, just something mm-hmm. like that. Because the uh, was it Kentucky versus the some so and so industries versus the state of Kentucky. I didn't dive into that, so it kind of whipped by me. Yeah. So, but he's an unsavory type. Well, business not unsavory. It's the type of you know corporate businesses that influence our politics every day. (laughs) But it gives you an idea of the kind of clients that Oliver's firm is representing. Is kind of Mm -hmm. what I took away from that. It's a very fancy restaurant. Everybody is suited to the nines. And then Oliver gets a scare. Something's going wrong. He has an attack of some sort. Yeah, he thinks he's having a heart attack. Yeah. Somebody says, call an ambulance and wipe that food off his face. For God, because appearances, right, mm-hmm. appearances are more important than maybe this man is in the midst of a heart attack. We get a fade to white. And then a sort of aerial, not aerial because we're inside, but an over, overhead shot of Oliver on a gurney in his, uh, you know, in his, what do you call those, hospital gowns on a, on a gurney. And everything is whited out, white sheets and the hospital gown, and he's looking scared. Then they wheel another patient next to him. <laughs> Oliver says, what happened to you? My wife stabbed me again, <laughs> this time with a nail file. And but his wife comes on, honey, you're going to be OK. And just, you know, she's very remorseful and sweet now. It was funny because I, he goes, yeah, she's going through nail technician school. And I was wondering if um, that this was accidental. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe it wasn't on purpose. No, no. All, no, he says she always they always feel bad after they do it. Like, oh, oh this yeah, is a recurring. Right. Yeah. yeah. But she's like, oh, but, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now. I'll get the doctor. But but then I have a little bit of a trigger here because the doctors gather around Oliver and said, all right, let's take you in. And stabbing victim guy says, or his wife says, hey, we were here first. And he's bleeding out, but they take Michael Douglas back first. Well, no, they weren't there first. They were there second. He gets wheeled in. <laughs> so I don't know. If, if you're, if you're Stab wound to the gut versus, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, the dialogue is we were here first, and technically they're not. They're not if they're if they're being consistent with triage. I don't I don't know. One's cardiac, could be an evolving cardiac massive MI. Yeah. The other one is uh, abdominal trauma and bleeding. So I, I yeah. <laughs> take your pick. Flip a coin, guys. Okay, okay. I'll <laughs> let both, that one go. They're both, very but it's serious. all in good good humor. And and 
and certainly Oliver is scared out of his wits. He thinks he's going to die. And when they get him up to, I don't know what kind of room that is. It's not really an operating theater. It's just a, an evaluation room or something. It's, uh, it's, he asks for a pen. He'd like to write. He, he just wants to get a letter to Barbara in case he doesn't make it. We don't we don't know what the words are right until until he reads it to her later. <laughs> yes. So he, he, he writes this and then cut to the doctor saying, you know, you know how it feels. When he, he's he basically has suffered from a hiatal hernia. So he describes it as being a lot like angina, not fatal. Oliver says, am I going to die? And he says, yes, but not today, not from this. And then very suspiciously, Oliver says, could you get this hiatal hernia from, say, being squeezed between somebody's thighs really hard? And the doctors kind of chuckle and like, "Mm, no, no. Mm. But he he wants to pin that on Barbara, doesn't he? Yeah, he kind of does, but uh, yeah. no, they, they tell him to drink it because he's ordering coffee when he, the pain comes out. Yeah, drink yeah. too much coffee, too much stress, Spicy blah, blah, food. blah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, his lifestyle is what gave him, gave him that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also he's probably, you know, he's very ambitious, energy, energy, worry, worry. Am I going to get the right clients? Am I going to get the position? So a lot of stress in there as well. Cut to DeVito. I think again. Oh yeah, no, not cut to the office, but Devito comes, or, or Gavin is the character's name, comes to sit with Oliver. Right? He's sitting in a sort of a darkened room, mm-hmm. like a patient's room. It looks like they're discharging him. Yes. And uh, Oliver tells him, "No, my uh, Barbara's on her way." Mm-hmm. They they called her, and they do call her. I don't know exactly when that happens. Uh, if it happens before Gavin shows up or sort of after they cut to that. But she's with a client at a very nice house, and she gets the phone call that your husband's had a heart attack, and she's alarmed. She's like, oh, my God, I have to go. I have to go. My husband has had a heart attack. But I do love that the client goes, oh, that – what did she say? That happens all the time with my (laughs) – (laughs) Yes. It happens all the time. And also Barbara adds – your catering is going to be beautiful. It'll be perfect. But she's clearly seems very distressed about this news. She is, I think, genuinely distressed. I don't think she's putting on a show there. Yeah. Genuinely alarmed at this news and takes off. Yeah. But cut to yeah, Oliver and Gavin DeVito on a train home. She never came. Yeah, she never came. He gets home and he's all by himself, too. The house is dark. Nobody greets him except the dog. He says to the dog, you're the only one who gives a damn about me in this house. She comes home and she goes, Oliver, thank God. <laughs> but we don't believe her, do we? <laughs> Just Well, she's finally tracked him down. I think she's yeah. relieved to have, you know, you're here. I don't, you know, you're not at yes. the hospital. There wasn't a misunderstanding. They have children. Yeah. yeah. So but she I, comes in very in a very breezy way, and he's in his nightclothes, and he's just spitting nails. His eyes are daggers, and he, he can't believe that she didn't come to the hospital. And she's putting her things away, and we see for the first time her walk-in closet, which looks like I don't know what, just <laughs> this yeah. amazing display of shoes that she's very proud of. And she has acquired a lot of sort of business suits and things for her new business, and she's doing very well in, in that department. But he's pissed. You know, I really thought I was going to die, and I wrote you this note. 
and he hands it to her, and she says, oh, I could never read your writing. <laughs> You'll have to read it. You know, so that's kind of insulting. And it's this very saccharine, everything I am is I wrote because it, of you. I wrote, Did you write it? Let's I hear it. Here, no, I didn't write it down. I just said, uh, I wrote here, uh, Oliver recites the worst note written, uh, goodbye <laughs> note, goodbye, I love you note in the history of <laughs> cinema. It is just a horribly written goodbye, my my love letters yes. ever. In. And then he said, I ran out of strength and I, I didn't have the strength to 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 sign it. And she just misses that point and says, oh, they probably would have told me who it was from. <laughs> like she's unmoved by any of the saccharine talk and his, you know, deathbed letter to her. Uh, but then we cut to the kids are home and they're grown now. And they're really angry with mom. Mm -hmm. You know, you're supposed to call us. This thing happened. We agreed. And I think he's mollified by that, by the kids' outrage on his behalf. The kids are sitting there at the table. Susan's very sweet. She serves them these perfect vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And he, he said, it's okay. From now on, we are a communicating family. That You know, in other words, that's our strength. And... From now on, we're always going to, you know, communicate yeah. anything that's important. And she doesn't say anything, but just says so much with her eyes, which tells me. She, yeah, they, they go to bed pissy. They, yeah, I mean, Oliver is truly offended that she didn't come to the hospital. And you see that they're in bed. And now we have a different type of cinematography up from this point where it's all bathed in blue light, it seems. Yes. it's For every scene as it gets more and more serious. Yes. And Barbara's sitting up in bed watching, uh, what is she watching? The Platter singing Only You or something like that? It's uh, on black and white, a video of them singing Only You. Mm-hmm. Only you can make a swell scene and and that's important it's it's a, l- a little bit of a Chekhov's gun there as is the sh- chandelier that we keep seeing mm-hmm. and she's sitting up he's snoring like a a damn lawnmower <laughs> and she reaches over and pinches his nose closed or something <laughs> he chokes awake what, and she what, just sits what's back going on? what's going on what's happening and she starts to tell him, and, and we don't know at first what, how this is going to end this story, but she starts to tell Oliver that she knows why she didn't go to the hospital. That when she got the call, she had to pull her car over. She got really scared. Yeah. And he's sort of reaching back, but not looking like tapping her on the leg, like, there, there, I, everything's okay, I'm alive. She said, I, I began to feel like, you know, if you, I, I had this strong feeling that you were dead mm. and that I'd walk into an empty house where you didn't exist anymore. And he's looking slightly placated, like, oh, she, she has feelings after all. She's been cold all night. He said, well, you don't have to worry anymore. And she says, I got scared because I, I felt happy. <laughs> <laughs> Like this tremendous weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I was happy to be free. Mm-hmm. 
And then she sort of unloads on him. Yeah. When you eat, when you I have it labeled here as the big divorce talk. Yeah. And what I read before we get into it, Beth, I read that many people do this like on TikTok or YouTube, reenact it because it's a favorite among fans. So they'll reenact the divorce scene. I want a divorce scene. Uh, first, he he gets up and says, what is wrong with you? What What is happening? She says, I want a divorce in a very flat way. Mm-hmm. And he, he's, no, you can't have one. Why? I've been I've been a pretty damn good, you know, I'm a good catch. And he, he lists his, you know, his virtues. And that's when she starts with, because lately, when I watch you sleep, when I see you eating, when I look at you, I just want to smash your face in. And you're you're thinking, fuck face, fuck face the whole time. <laughs> and she looks determined. And they're almost chest to chest, right? He's wearing his PJs, his matching blue, you know, navy blue pajamas. And he does this thing, the come here hands, you know, up by your face. Yeah, yeah, you want to, you really want to punch? Go ahead, punch me then. Go ahead. And he doesn't get the second... Uh, go ahead and punch me out before she just lets him have a hook, right? Yeah, she whacks him right in the nose, punches him right and in the nose. knocks him back, bloody nose. He's like, ow, ow. Yeah. <laughs> she does have this one moment that he doesn't see, but that we see where she looks down at her fist like, oh, my God, I just did that. But then stands a little straighter like, yes, I meant that. He says to her, next time? I hit back. Mm. You better get a damn good lawyer. And what does she say? <laughs> the best your money can buy. <laughs> <laughs> um, it would be a good time to explain the historical reference. The War of the Roses was a, a, a war, a battle over the English throne between two yeah. houses that claimed yeah. a right. House of York. And, House yeah. of York and the House of Lancaster. And it lasted 32 years. Just to kind of give you an idea. Yes. idea of the sort of intensity that is yeah. alluded to as far as yeah. this where this battle is going to go. And yeah. it was a bloody... Middle Ages, look it up. And, and by the way, if you look up War of the Roses, you might have to uh, compete with other treatments of the historic <laughs> reference yeah. rather than this movie. Uh, there's a beautiful, I just wanted to mention the cinematography after he slams the door, he leaves the bedroom, slams the door, and she's sitting on the, the bench at the foot of the bed. And the camera is looking in from the window mm. and pulls back, pulls back, pulls back, pulls back. And it's it's a beautiful shot, pull-away shot. I loved it because in a way it it, uh, it sort of frames her like a face card. Mm. Sort of the queen in her house. Yeah. The next time we see them, they're sitting in an attorney's office. And they're very well-groomed and beautiful attorney's office. Beautiful. All these attorney's offices are really... <laughs> These, these are not personal injury <laughs> type yeah, these, these offices. Are, yeah. These are practices that have they've, – they've made it. And the yeah. actor – I had to look him up. G.D. Spradlin, he oh, plays so the sweet. senator, the dirty senator in The Godfather 2. I was like – You know what? Him. I was wondering that the whole time because he sounds so – you know, I don't like your type, Mr. Corleone. <laughs> I, I, you know, now that you've said that, I couldn't – I didn't want to look it up. I knew you'd know. And he is slimy as a lawyer, too. You will recognize him from other films because he's one of those character actors that's just great mm-hmm. presence. and Just 
oozes slime while smiling, and he has kind of this southern, I don't know sort which state, maybe. Elegant slime. <laughs> yes, elegant slime. The meeting does not go well. No. At first, he lists the number of things, rights that Barbara is waving. She's waving the right to alimony. She's waving all kinds of things. Uh, anything against his, his law practice, anything against any sort of money, but she wants the house and everything in it. And he's appalled. He said, everything I've made has gone into that house. And then the attorney does something super slimy, doesn't he? Well, what do you mean? He brings out the deathbed letter. And this is when game on. It's it's the letter when Oliver was in the hospital, this saccharine dripping, you know, you are my life, everything I have, everything I own, I owe to you. I owe to you. Yes. Well, I and mean, yeah. you're not going to lie on your deathbed. So that's his yeah. truth. <laughs> I don't think but it was for, a slimy move at all. No, but to Oliver, this is the lowest thing that Barbara could have done which to give a, her attorney this intimate thing between which, them. Which is absolutely ludicrous because he even mm. says to Oliver, he says, she has a sizable claim mm. to your interest in the law practice. She's mm -hmm. waiving that. She's waiving mm -hmm. alimony. Yeah. Child support. And he goes, I've always taken care of my kids. And, and which is ridiculous because they turn 18 in a year, you know? Yeah. So yeah. you're off the hook there. It, it, probably 18 sooner than that, right? Yeah. She um, probably makes, you know, I don't even think a quarter of what he, he makes uh, uh, for a living with her business. The share in the practice alone, because he's a full partner now. Yeah is significant that's a, that's a lot of money <laughs> yeah. because practices continue to as like that is going to continue to make more and more money and yeah. um he just needs to, to give her the goddamn house so he, the only reason why he's hanging on to this freaking house mm. you have to he, ask like why i don't think he wants to let her go well there you go she, he knows she's unmovable on that point. And he does say to the lawyer, it's a great line, and I wish I'd written it down, but it's a very lengthy insult. <laughs> like, you slimy, okay. primordial, primordial oozing frog scum. I don't know. It goes on and on. It's beautifully delivered. Pond in New Jersey. Swamp, the lowest swamp in New Jersey or something. <laughs> yes. I'd like to talk to my wife alone. And that's when he says, you will never get that house. And she just stares straight ahead, cool, and says, we'll see. Cut to Gavin slash Danny DeVito telling his silent client, client a joke. What do you call 500 lawyers at the bottom of the sea, of the ocean? A good start. An excellent start. <laughs> An excellent start. You're right. Uh, that, well, because there were so many times in the – I anticipate what he's going to say, and it's just a little bit different. It's just mm. a little bit yeah. different in the dialogue. Yeah. So. Oliver kind of goes out of the attorney's office, and the the uh, the lawyer says to her, he's like, "Oh, she said maybe we shouldn't have showed him the note. She has yeah. some remorse." Like, yeah. yeah. He's like, "No, this is just a sort of a bump in the road. We're just gonna look back on this day as one of the lighter moments." Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's not wrong. That's true. Oliver and Gavin Devito in one of the in the library of the, of the firm and 
DeVito is up on a ladder looking for an obscure <laughs> book. Yeah. A law book. And what is it? Oh, just uh, living separate lives. Uh, he points out this kind of obscure law where it was – the law was created to – aid people who were poor who mm. could not find another domestic situation to separate yeah. so that they could uh, cohabitate with under the same roof until the divorce was finalized. And for those of you who don't live in the states, well, I guess every state is different. Uh, some states require you to live in separate domiciles for one year before proceeding with divorce. So if you were not able to afford it, that would be kind of a hindrance. But this yeah. law was kind of a way around that. Yeah. And uh, Oliver's delighted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's moving back in. Yeah. Barbara's like, you can't do this. And he goes, oh, yes, yeah. I can. Section. And he starts quoting the <laughs> yeah. the law and where to look But first up. he says to, to DeVito's character, I'm going to win her back. He doesn't use those words, but I will use this time to get her to see reason. And that's when DeVito says, never underestimate her as an adversary. Women can be a lot meaner than we give them credit for. Right. <laughs> a lot meaner, a lot more ruthless. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I have here in my notes, Christmas at the Roses. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the kids are The kids are home. Yeah. Standing around the tree. Yeah. It's, so it's a beautiful setting, but all this tension between. We, we have carolers. That's how the scene opens. The carolers are yeah. coming down the street. We're, yeah. we're seeing the outside of this this gorgeous house. Yeah. Uh, and we can see the tree, and she's finally going to put her tinfoil star that she saved all those years on yes. top of the tree. You guess you're really going to put that on there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> put that on. But something uh, weird happens. Yeah, the the uh, the electricity goes off, and Barbara calls it correctly and says that it's a short. You should check the lights. And he says, no, no, probably an ornament is brushing up against something. And he refuses to listen. Yeah, so he knows better. And I think she even says that, well, you always know better, Oliver, yeah. and walks away. But she knows she's right. Uh, she she's put that house together. She has refurbished the furniture. She has laid every brick there and every every piece. She knows her home. Uh, but we cut to the daughter sort of uh, doing some heavy petting in a in a very foggy car. It's funny. It's, it's like this ultra close up of of lip locking. Yeah. And then it's at first I was like, who is this? Back. Yeah. You're like, oh, what what's going on? Are they having? Yeah. Oh oh, it's the daughter making out with her boyfriend. Yeah. And she, out of the corner of her eye, my yeah. house is on fire. <laughs> and the idiot boyfriend is like, "Yeah, you're. I, you make me feel like I'm on fire too." He's just idiot. Yeah. <laughs> no, you idiot. My house is on fire. Yeah. She runs in, and this is uh, pandemonium in Susan. It's really funny because yeah. uh, uh, Susan, in her German accent, is like nine nine nine. No nine one one. <laughs> <laughs> And it's also priceless, and I have this fear, too, and I, I've never sort of addressed it. Oliver grabs the fire extinguisher but has no – he needs to read the instructions. Which is, he doesn't know how it operate, how, you, how to work the thing. And then he does this this unmanly little side-to-side dance while he's, you know, trying to put the fire out with the extinguisher. It just doesn't look very heroic. Oh, and so uh, Yeah. 
he he just sprays the whole thing. Pronounces, thank God I was here. Thank God I was here. Yes. And Barbara gives him a withering look. And the withering look means, I told you so. But he, he does, he, he has to, he can't leave it at that. He has to say something like it. He said it may not have been a short, you know. Yeah. And she uh, just says something like, you know best, don't you? Susan goes, I'm going to get a, a, a pen and a broom, uh, maybe a boulder. <laughs> a sponge, like a sponge is going to put a dent in <laughs> Torched. The, the kids, uh, you see Sean Astin, uh, they're, they're kind of grabbing their presents that are yeah. torched. And he pulls Smoldering. out pulls out these binoculars that were apparently a gift to him. Yeah, and the, the the view is all distorted. He sees his father going back upstairs, and it's all sort of foggy and twisted. Yeah, that's a nice shot too, the way it's done. Like all of a sudden, the way he's viewing his parents is has been completely altered. Yeah, yeah. Christmas is ruined. That's one of the notes I have. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oliver, goddammit. Yeah. Cut to. Uh, now, I wasn't very thorough with my notes here, so you have to help me a little bit. There's another argument, and in this argument, Oliver tries to get Barbara to agree that they don't want to give all the money to the lawyers, that they can work it out. Yeah, it's like a mor- the morning after. Or t- but he walks in and he goes, Let, let's not do this. Yeah. I, I want to make – let's find something we can agree on. Let's work together. Let's not give all the money to the lawyers. <laughs> I've worked out an amount because you I get it. You've put 18 years of hard work into this marriage and you deserve to be compensated. This is so insulting. This whole scene. <laughs> so by his calculations, that's one hundred and sixty three thousand. Wait, one hundred sixty three thousand eight hundred dollars because it's what he goes. You do your job. What you did was essentially what Susan does. He's comparing. Yeah, he uses her salary as a housekeeper as a baseline salary, multiplied by whatever his warped math is. But it's it's funny. I feel like he's creating the this figure. As he's talking it out, he says, "Well, I took her salary and then I doubled it, and then I tripled it." And then because as he's hearing his own words come out of his mouth, he understands yeah. how ridiculous this is. Yeah. So then he yeah. comes up with like a four uh, – roughly just under half a million dollars to offer yeah. her, to buy yeah. her out of everything. So now it's on, but I, but I failed to write why it's really on because I've written in large letters, now it's on, underline, underline, underline. Well, Big fight. Equating her to a housekeeper? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just – and she's absolutely not. Absolutely no. not. She made him. He was right in his little saccharine letter. She made him everything he is. She says, this is my house. Everything yeah. in this house. I, I yeah. sweated everything about this house. And he said, I I paid for everything in this house. It's a lot yeah. harder to, to make the money. So what is it called? Sweetie poo or sweetie pie? Honey yeah, pie? Yeah, they, they start to get really sarcastic with the honey buns and the sweetie pie and it's sudden just dripping with venom. And she has a valise with her. She's going out to, to her big four by four and he's following yeah. her out there. And and he said, you weren't even multi-orgasmic before you met me. <laughs> I love her retort. She, Wait, what was it again? <laughs> she says, please, something about you, you, even now you you – need 
my reassurance for your own sexual insecurity when we can't yeah. even stand to look at each other, when we yeah. are absolutely disgusted yeah. with one another. Yeah, she is disgusted. And as she's backing out of the driveway, guess who's just pulled up to hear all of the, the juicy bits of the argument? Yeah. The kids and Susan coming back yes. from the grocery store. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then we have cut to Oliver and Gavin. And this time Oliver has this big, uh, like, br- blueprint of the house <laughs> where he's marked down neutral zones, Barbara's areas of the house, and his own. And this is where DeVito is, or Gavin is saying, oh, no, like, you've both lost it. Yeah. This is really getting out of hand. Yeah. He says, don't do it. Don't do it. You can never win with a woman when it comes to love or revenge. And DeVito's character says, well, at least you agree on one thing, because one thing they're both adamant about is, nope, we're not selling the house. Yeah. And he, he's like, I got more square footage. <laughs> he's just, he's <laughs> just crazy. Like, yeah, and he is Gavin insane. Is saying this. Yes. So we have the following night. Yeah. Susan goes knocking on. They're they're sleeping in separate bedrooms, but Susan yeah. goes knocking on Barbara's bedroom. She goes, oh, can, "Can I get a sleeping pill?" <laughs> mm. I love this. Are you asking for you or are you asking for him? <laughs> and she's not sure selling it. And Barbara looks at her with an arched brow and she says, "Okay, you cog me. I that's okay because I do not like playing this charade anyhow." And <laughs> she's just so sweet. She's put in the middle of all this. This is kind of tells you what a jerk Oliver is. He makes Susan go to the, you know, to the CVS. Yeah, why does she have to go? But we should also mention the cat is in the room with Barbara, and as she's having this exchange with Susan, the cat gets out, and she says, oh, kitty, you know, because she's used to the cat sleeping with her. Right. As they're backing out of the driveway in the Morgan, she goes, oh, this is cozy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, why does Susan have to go? What a dick. There's no reason for Susan to go, but he makes yeah. her go. Middle of the night. Poor Susan. I need you to go with me and hold my hand. Yeah. That's probably Yeah. And the dog is chasing the cat across the lawn, and oopsie. They're inside the car now. Bump. And Susan said, what was that? A bump? And, of course, he's backed over the cat. Yes. He's... And then there's a sweet cutaway to to Benny the dog who's like mm, 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 you know they got that yeah. dog's eyes to well up with tears did you yes that? Some, somehow that that is the sweetest dog so fair play to the dog wrangler and the cat wrangler yeah there I the the fifth time I watched I'm like oh my god he's tearing yeah. up the dog is actually getting teary-eyed so his stage name was is Benny but but that's Popeye so Popeye well done well done you deserve an Oscar your performance yes but this jerk Oliver <laughs> yeah. go into the house and get a large Ziploc bag. And poor Susan's like, kitty. <laughs> poor kitty. He has no remorse whatsoever. It's a minor inconvenience. You see her walking with the the bag, the Ziploc bag, walking to the back of the house, presumably, I guess, to put it in the trash or what? put the poor cat yeah. in the trash. Horrible. And he's hosing down his Morgan. He's got his yeah, He's more concerned up. about what, yeah. He's a jerk. Fucker. <laughs> Fuck face. <laughs> no remorse. 
and and then we cut to Barbara's various scenes where she's calling Kitty. The name the cat's name is Kitty Kitty. Kitty Kitty in the daytime, then out in the woods with a flashlight or you know, nearby she, Kitty Kitty, desperately looking for this cat. Mm-hmm. But then she has a moment of realization. Meantime, Oliver's in a very nice sort of, I'd say, a, a ten-person sauna that they have in their home. The wet sauna, the kind you pour the water over the uh, coals or, or whatever. She looks through the window at him in the sauna and said, says, what did you do with the cat? What did you do with the kitty? Well, you killed my cat. Yeah. Yeah. And then Oliver has the temerity to say, you killed your cat, Barbara. Oh, oh, he deserves what comes next. One doll mean that, you know, that's why your cat died. You couldn't give me one doll mean to sleep. Yeah. So she starts taking these wood chisels. Yes. <laughs> and you think I'm scared of you? And he's, I don't know what the temperature is in a sauna. It, it nail, nails him into the temporarily. I mean, it's not hard nailing, yeah. but she yeah. wedges these chisels in there just so he can't he can't open it. And he, he deserves it. She goes upstairs. Now there's a, there's a deleted scene that's actually pretty cool. Oh, tell me. This scene goes on a little bit. You, you see the sizzling onions and. The, She's and then chopped. him sizzling. Yeah. In the film, it makes her think, okay, I got to go back down there because it's way too hot. The deleted scene, you see her in the kitchen, and then you see her pouring water. And it's actually, she's pouring water mm. on him to revive him. Oh. <laughs> from like a watering can. But you also see her actually rolling him up. The way the scene ends is she's like, I can't take it anymore. You mm. have to leave, Oliver. You have to leave. And she's crying when she opens that door and walks away. Like, okay, I'm opening the door so I don't kill you. But that that would add more, I don't know, more sympathy to the character. Maybe that's why they cut it, because they wanted to keep the keep the tables even or something. Actually, it shows how strong she is, because she has no problem taking this. Like, he's dead weight. He's exhausted from yeah. the heat. She pours yeah. the water on him to revive him. I'm not going to let you die. Yeah. She rolls him up. It shows how physically strong she is. But he's unmoved by it. She's really in painful tears as she walks away. He's unmoved. At this unmoved. point in the story, she's just saying the same thing over and over again. I can't take it anymore, and you need to leave. Yeah. In other words, something bad's going to happen, Oliver. We need to be physically separated, and I'm not leaving this house. He just doesn't get it. No, he doesn't. Uh, he's not going to let go of his package deal image. And he might love her in his as, as far as he's able to, I think. Uh, we cut to Oliver at the law office <laughs> chugging some Gatorade. Like, and, super and Miss Gatorade. Gator when Gatorade was in glass bottles. I know. <laughs> I like, Plastic. Ice cold yeah. glass. With the Gatorade in it. Oh, so good. Is this when one of the partners says, we're worried about you? There's a big case coming you're, up. And yeah, you're looking you haggard. The, the client or whatever, the bigwig client, you know, the confirmation hearings are coming up. He goes, oh, yeah. you're ready to go. Best shape of my life. <laughs> Just sweat it off. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and he does a great job of acting because he's, you know, he, he's – Fully suited. He's not wrinkled or mussed up, but you can just tell in his eyes that he's finished, that he's going insane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's becoming more and more detached from reality. 
So after saying, I'm perfectly fine, cut to something he's sawing very vigorously. And it turns out he's sawing off all the heels off of Barbara's beautiful shoe collection. Which is just ridiculous. Spike. It's not going to bother her one bit. It's still awful because they're beautiful, beautiful shoes, all nicely, you know, set out in her, in, in John shelves in her beautiful walk-in closet. So that's just pure spite. And she hasn't done pure spite yet. It's just so petty and he just looks ridiculous. And for him to think that that's going to sway her in any way, yeah. other than just irritate her, yeah. is stupid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they're getting lower and lower with the blows. Barbara tries to go through Gavin, and and yes. this actually uh, recalls what the story that yes. he tells the man in the chair. Yes, we see a little bit of that in the opening, but we see the full story here. Barbara's at her wit's end. Mm-hmm. She She'll goes to anything. Gavin, which is unethical, and very sagely he says, well, let's, do you mind if I record this just so nothing gets misinterpreted? And she does look beautiful. Oh, Rita Hayworth vibes. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, total noir look here. D- Damsel in distress or yeah. Lauren Bacall, you know, all that yeah. going on yeah. here in this scene. Femme fatale, damsel in distress, the whole thing. And she tries to seduce Gavin. She says, I, you know, what can I do for you? And he, with some regret, I think, declines, particularly after she's on the floor and she does a kip, you know, this thing where you roll back on your on your back and then you sort of leap up to your feet. How, how can you describe that any better? Back it's kind of the when you make the bridge with your uh, like a back bend, but she's able to uh, sort of spring to her feet. So you you know he hasn't been breathing while watching this gorgeous thing try to seduce him. So it is at this point, after 13 years of not smoking, that he grabs the little enshrined cigarette that you know was his last cigarette 13 years ago, breaks it open and lights that cigarette. Like I gotta have one. <laughs> I will give Gavin some credit because even though he's kind of sleazy <laughs> when yeah. we're introduced to him back in this era, right? Yeah. Yeah. When this is happening, he, he's he's doing things ethically. Yes. And he doesn't get into the details of the case. He's like, you, you guys just need to settle it. She tries mm-hmm. anything. She she does the foot thing. He goes, come on, mm-hmm. Barbara, I haven't been into toes since 1982, <laughs> which is a funny line. She tries yeah. to do a little cleavage, and it just doesn't work. Yeah. But she's almost – she is. She does beg him. She yeah, she's it. unbuttoning her the top of her dress. She's sitting on his desk with the legs crossed all the way up to the top of her, uh, you know, her stockings. And she's she's a lovely being in this. As she's and the, yeah, she's even got a mink coat going on there that she's holding. She's, he's fighting to find that cigarette when she as she's leaving, yeah. she kind of turns and does the. You know where I am. Yeah, just call me if you change your mind. And he's freaking out yeah. trying to find. Yeah. This is quite the proposition because she she's hard to resist. And and back yeah. to the office man in the chair because I should have known with her foot in my crotch that she was yeah. desperate. <laughs> but but she does say to him something very heartfelt. She says, "Do you know that most mornings I wake up crying and I'm I'm just at the end, but I realized this yesterday that I woke up screaming." Mm. So so she is really ruined by this whole thing 
yeah, the joke was, you know, they realized that the foot in my crotch was a cry for help. The penultimate to the final act. Yes. <laughs> Barbara's throwing a dinner party. Now, this is super important. Yeah. It's all of her clients. This is all of her best clients. And apparently there's going to be someone from the post. Everybody is, is really in black tie. Yeah. She's wearing a gorgeous gown with a long white scarf. And she's gone all out to make her favorite or her best dishes for, for this assemblage of VIP clients. Uh, we should also mention that prior to this, Susan goes off and the kids go back to college. So they're all alone now. That is true. Yeah. There are no referees. No referees, nothing to uh, – no guardrails for their behavior. Yeah. That's a good thing. That's a good point. Yeah. They're going back um, – there's a sort of a nice scene mm. between Oliver and and Josh. You know, John Aston plays yeah. Josh. He's packing sandwiches and he goes, I want to have a talk with you about women and he goes, You know what? Josh is basically like, save it. You know, yeah. I you don't just because to- you screwed up your relationship doesn't mean I will. Yeah. yeah. We get a a sort of echo of that fight with Barbara when he says, do you want to punch me? Just go ahead, go ahead. And he says that to his son, which I thought was really provocative. Like, why would you say that to your son? So he says the same thing to his son. You want to hit me? You want to slug me? Is that what you want to do? Go ahead. But his son just walks up to him and gives him a big heartfelt hug. Really, a bigger man, a better man than his own father. Yeah. That's a bully move to say you want to hit me, you want to slug me, dude. The kid is yeah. It's not about appearances, Dad. It's about how do I feel about you? I love you. Yeah. You know, work and you kind of have a similar scene between the Barbara and the daughter. And the daughter's scared. She's like, "Are you guys gonna be okay? You know, you're not gonna kill each other, are you?" (laughs) Yeah. But they see them off, and and you can tell when they're walking back when the taxi pulls away. And they're walking back up to the house. It's uh, it's game on. Yeah. So game now on. we have the dinner party. <laughs> now we have cut to, to Gavin and, and his silent client, but, but just sort of as a transition. These cuts are used as transitions a lot of the time. And uh, I think during that transition, Gavin is begging Oliver to give up the house. And that's when Oliver's, are you, whose side are you on? And then ends up firing Gavin. Yeah, you're fired. Gavin tries one more time. You yeah. know what you should do? You need to push to sell the house. Yeah. That way, and I, from Gavin's perspective, he's like, "That's the only way." Yeah. Because that's the only way she's gonna feel okay about it. Yeah. The only way he's gonna feel okay about it is you treat the house like an asset and say we're we're selling it. Yeah. You don't get anything. I don't get anything. You can fight over maybe the the Staffordshire, and the Baccarat. Yeah. But the house, the, the marriage is dissolved, therefore the house should be dissolved. Did you notice the sign on top of uh, – that That was a big signal to me. It, it would have been in the 80s. The okay, sign what? on top of the taxi that pulled away with the kids. No. What would it say? Get met, it pays, an insurance company. Oh, <laughs> I Get didn't, met, I didn't notice that. was the that. old motto back in the 80s for metropolitan oh. life. Oh. Get met, it pays. I didn't think I'd ever need insurance in the 80s. <laughs> well, that, there are just little um, 
I don't I don't know if you want to call them Easter eggs, but there are little things like that in the, yeah. in the movie. It's a dinner. So we have the dinner yeah. party. This is a big deal. So this yeah. is a big, big night for her. Yes. And this is business too. This is business. Yeah, it's her livelihood. Mm-hmm. And she's having success. This would launch her into maybe an 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 entree into the sphere of the Martha Stewarts. Yeah. So really high level clientele catering. Or or who knows? Maybe you're in the restaurant. Who knows? And Oliver crashes this party. He he's looking really unkempt in a top hat and you know, tuxedo type thing. But you know, not in a proper way. He's got a t shirt on and I think a tie over the t shirt. Yeah, that's right. And but he's wearing sort of these green army dungarees mm. and the top coat and the top yeah, hat. Mismatched. And he he's like, Oh, excuse me. She gave this wonderful introduction. Yes. Explaining sort of the beginning of the sort of a master master of ceremonies for her mm. own event here. She goes, yeah. These are all my favorite dishes and your favorite dishes too. The best of the best. Enjoy the evening. And then he comes in. That too. Oh, excuse yeah, me. Hacks into his handkerchief and throws it into the terrain of soup or whatever it is. <sighs> He's just gross. And then he and says. They're all appalled. <laughs> yeah. And then he says, excuse me, I'm going to go piss on the fish. He walks into the kitchen and you don't know whether to take this seriously or not. Yeah. Yeah, is it literal or is he just messing around? No, no, he's being quite literal. He's crouched up on a chair or something, literally eating on the fish course. It's she Gross. comes into the kitchen. She follows him to the kitchen, just in time to see him. It's the the really obnoxious, like ding, gotta get his junk out, gotta yeah. aim. The fish is there. You see the stream yeah. of water. Yeah. It's gross. That's gross. And and she points out that she has never tampered with his business. She tells him, this is business. Never sabotaged. This is my business. <laughs> she says to when him, I'm watching this part. I would never humiliate you like this. Mm. Yeah. And then he, then the insult of insults. You're not equipped to. Yeah. What's honey, that? You're not equipped honey. to, honey. You don't have a penis. Yeah. What? <laughs> yep. That, that's his, that's why I was talking about his, his default earlier. That is his default. It's a man's world, honey. Buns. Mm. And so she walks out and you're not sure what she's going to do. And the guests are all like, should we leave? And somebody says, I wouldn't recommend the fish course. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they're all in the house. They're not quite sure what Barbara's doing, but she's getting into her monster truck and it really is a monster truck. And, rams the Morgan and drags it with the truck out to the street, right? His beloved Morgan that he's been polishing with a baby diaper all these years. Yeah. Well, she bought yeah. it for him. So. Yeah, that's true. And she she does a couple of, you know, hot rod feints where you sort of flick the, what are those things on the top lights? Floodlights? I'm oh, not sure what those lights, are. Yeah. Floodlights. And revs the engine. And nearly crashes into the Morgan that he's holding on to desperately, uh, but you know just clips it. Uh, doesn't doesn't really pound it at first, and then he gets the door open finally to the Morgan and crawls inside and said, 
you you'll have to kill me if you if you want to destroy this car you'll have to kill me doesn't deter her one bit does it <laughs> the four by four attempt uh, basically rapes the more <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't even have to get into uh, yeah and i don't want to ruin it for people that haven't seen the film yet but it's 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 a good piece of it is the the Morgan is I don't know what kind of vehicle that is well like the brand that that Barbara is driving but but the Morgan is no match for that thing no it's not it really reminded me of those you know those monster truck things that oh, yeah jump over things absolutely and it's at this point that Oliver says okay the gloves are off hello I think the gloves were off well before that when he <laughs> pissed on her fish you know the Morgan was his line. Come all on. the guests are out on the lawn watching all this, too. Yeah. <laughs> she drives off after she's destroyed the Morgan. And he yeah. goes, chicken! Screaming. Yeah. Then I have written here, the breaking of the Staffordshire figures. They, they're they smashing Staffordshires. They, they are fighting over this one piece. They're going halfway upstairs. He pushes her. He could have killed her then. That's right. That's kind of a... Uh, Anybody in anybody else's hands, it could have been a tacky or, you know, unbelievable scene. Right. We know that she's a gymnast and they're fighting over this last bit of Staffordshire. He pushes her down the stairs because she's but because she's a gymnast, she sort of cartwheels down the stairs. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's it's a sight gag moment when we're talking about black humor. But she does end up pretty banged up on the on the floor when she lands on the floor. Yeah, it's pretty. We see th- that later that night she's laying in bed yeah. and we see the bruises on her arm yeah and you then it's it's back to the office and i think this mm-hmm. is when the drink is poured because uh-huh. gavin says you know this is kind of typical for most horses <laughs> yeah. um yeah. nothing permanent has happened a few bumps yeah. and bruises no, nothing and, irrevocable yeah. has happened yeah they wake up the next morning we're getting ready to leave for work and there's a piece of paper. Meet me in the dining room this evening at, I forget, 9 p.m. or something. Yes. And then he's so obnoxious. Yes. Miss <laughs> Mr. Sure Oliver I'll, Rose will be attending. Will attend. Will attend. That's right. So, yeah. He, so she said – well, yeah. No, I'm just saying it, 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 he's so aspirational and acquisitive and he's just the – the person that he wants to be. He thinks he's cute. He thinks it's really cute His and, and clever, all of his little things that he does. And he's just become this gross caricature of, of ugliness and just awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, I refer to it as the ceasefire dinner. Barbara's really, truly trying to, to settle. Uh, she sets a beautiful table at the appointed time with candlelit, dinner she dresses in a beautiful way for it he dresses for it and when he walks into the room and sees her there doing whatever she's putting the last touches he has a moment of like that's my barbara that's the barbara i love well he thinks that maybe she's going to propose a a uh, reconciliation of sorts you know renegotiate the terms maybe we won't get divorced you want the house i want the house Maybe we can find a workaround. Naive that he is. Because he just can't conceive of the fact that she doesn't want to be with him. Yeah. There's no food except that she sets out these two plates 
with it looks like, first I'm like, is that peanut butter? Oh no, that's pate. Yeah. On these uh rice sort of thing. Rye crisp or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And he brings a, a a fine wine. I don't know what it is, but he brings a fine wine and pours the glasses and uh He sounds so salubrious, I pulled out an old one. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to let it breathe. Yeah. And uh and and at this, this point, is this when they have the talk where he says, look, there's nothing that we've done that we can't exactly. smooth over in some way. And he says, throughout all of this, no matter what, I have loved you. And she does not reciprocate. She, I, don't, she, I don't think she even answers him. He says, we haven't passed any point of no return. And she says, I have. And he, he just doesn't believe that that's true. Um, he says, I can't believe anybody who makes pate this good could be a bad person. Her response is to lean in, look straight into his eyes, because he's noticed Benny, the dog, has been missing for a while, and says, woof, like I have killed Benny and turned him into pate if I need to spell it out for anybody. She and says, a good dog to the last bite. Yeah, it's so bad. It's so awful. An awful thought. But I think it's good direction because lest we hate her, really hate her, because I'm finished with her, if that's true, the direction is to cut to Benny. It's right after he, uh, Oliver spits, yeah. upturns the table, but then we yeah. get the quick cut to poor old Benny in the, in the garden, <laughs> just yeah. hiding because he's, he, he's scared shitless like anybody should yeah. be. He's two horrible humans, <laughs> what, what's happening. So unlike... Oliver, who had no remorse backing over the cat, she she wouldn't really do anything to an animal. He's also said, I can replace everything except you. Cut to the attic. She's hiding. Yeah. And he, he, it's kind of very The Shining-esque. Like, darling, you know I'll find you. Mm-hmm. And, There's doors being taken down. Oh, yeah. Wood being hammered up. <laughs> Entrances yeah. and exits being and and windows being closed off, and then we also see this drill being holes being drilled. Yeah. So while he is boarding them inside the house, she is drilling spy holes so that she can spy yeah. on Oliver while he's doing all this. She's up yeah. in the attic, and she does something else which we won't know about till much later, as well. Well, as he's winding the clock, she's trying to unbolt the main bolt securing that chandelier he starts calling after her yes know this every square inch of this house just like you do and that's when he gets up into the attic and 20 mouse traps now i don't know why but but they all start going off and he's getting snapped snap snap he finds her and then gets really rapey doesn't he it's really not cool and i don't know why this didn't bother me when i watched it i've only seen this film the first time it came out and then i never watched it again until preparing for this episode and it's much more rapey than i remember it's very rapey and it's also reminiscent in one shot of the nantucket scene except things have gone terribly wrong because you have that shot out the window uh, missionary style i don't know and for a while she she seems to want to engage in angry sex at first and you're thinking, don't do it, girl. Do not engage in this. He's being really rapey. 
but she starts to, uh, uh, you know, perform an act on him and bites his manhood. I don't know how hard, but pretty oh, hard. Probably really hard because he's screaming and, and writhing yeah. in pain. Yeah. And then uh, you discover they have a bidet. Well, well, first, she is strong. She she holds him by his leg, pushes him, uh, you know, he's on his back sliding, and pushes through the open, you know, ladder opening him down to the house on his back. Well, the, probably the top floor where the entrance for the attic is. Yeah, <laughs> but it's landing on your back hole. like that in any way. And then he's in, in a very ungraceful way just, you know, trying to, you know, hose down with the bidet. Yeah. Hose down his nads. Yeah. He's like crying. Uh, and it is yeah. sort of this grotesque. Well, yeah. it's kind of funny. But, but Michael Douglas squatting over the bidet is, is really a satisfying shot. And it's also, you get this cognitive dissonance because it's beautifully filmed and absurd at the same time. It's beautifully, beautifully filmed and absurd. It's framed very similar to the way she is framed as she's sitting on the bed, looking sort of like the regal queen of the home, and he looks like yeah. a fool yeah. squatting over the bidet. And he's framed almost the exact same way she was framed earlier in the film. Oh, yeah. If you think about it. Yeah. yeah. There, there's a lot going on in that scene. I'm just wondering how much is she committed to killing him? Because <laughs> I don't know that she <laughs> is. She just I, wants the house. I don't know. But, but – also, the chandelier becomes more and more present in each shot, and we get a lot of low-angle up, upward shots with with somebody in the frame, and then that chandelier looming, looming. Mm. Forgot to mention oh, yeah. when the kids leave, Susan leaves at the same time too. Yeah, she's like, "Well, I'll come back for my things because things are getting bad." Yeah, there, there's no way she can clean up that. <laughs> I, and I, I think that Susan is wise to the fact once the kids are gone. She's not protected. Yeah. I don't want to be around here for for this. So she she that's why I'll come back for my things. And so she shows up, and it's it's a very sad and creepy scene. Yeah. Dish broken dishes everywhere. She she can't. You're you're eating pate again. She can't go the front door. So she. Great housekeeper, though. She's climbing up the trellis. Knows where the back stairway is. This is an amazing house. Any house that has a huge winding staircase in the front, and you know they have a great service staircase in the back. You see her walking through the kitchen, and it it looks like a, a bomb went off inside the house. All of a sudden, a chair, some sort of barrel chair or something, is being hurled at her in the dark. It just misses her by inches. And this shadow, this silhouette comes kind of staggering towards her from the dark. And it's Oliver. Yeah. Because, oh, Susan, I thought you were Barbara. <laughs> I thought you were Barbara. And he's completely detached, right? Yeah. He, he's lost his mind at this point, looks crazed. And Susan is afraid for Barbara. Where's Barbara? Is she okay? Oliver calls out, Barbara, Susan's here. Tell her you're, you know okay. you're okay. okay. <laughs> She says, mm. screams back, couldn't be better. <laughs> so they're in on this together, to, you know, to the mat. He's like, here, let me walk you out. So he walks her to the door, and, and Susan tries. She goes, Mr. Rose, come outside with me. Mm. Okay. And as she thinks she's persuaded him, he, he goes, 
I forgot something. What did you forget? Barbara. And then he just closes the door. Now, uh, another scene that got deleted, Sam, was there is a clip where she is actually – because while this is going on, I'm like, why is no one calling 911? (laughs) Yeah, really. A serious domestic going on. There is a a piece of the film where she is in a payphone (laughs) calling 911. Uh, There's a great shot as Susan is leaving – Oliver and Barbara in different parts of the house, but both are looking out the window at her. Both looking very stony mm. and resolved. Spooky. They look like ghosts. There's also then a dolly zoom. It reminds me of the Jaws famous dolly zoom. That dolly zoom of Oliver from uh, below, like shooting upward, and and then a sort of depth of field thing that, that focuses on the chandelier. And the lighting gets more and more shadowy and expressionistic and noirish as we get to this part. Oliver's sitting in the chair. He's got some candles lit, and he's got the good old baccarat glasses. Yeah, the baccarat lined up, and he's trying to play. You know, when you play with your wine glass. Yeah. The tones, and he's trying to sing only you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Barbara walks out from some bedroom upstairs. Goes, yeah. what fresh hell is this? Yes. <laughs> Turns on a flashlight, and he's like, Barbara, I brought you something. You follow the flashlight down the banister of the winding staircase, and lo and behold, that first piece at the auction that they ever bought together, the Japanese. Well, she bought it. She didn't do good. They didn't buy it together. Or she bought. She bought that, it. That became theirs, you know, part right. of their communal property. By the way, a heat wave is going on. Mm-hmm. So Barbara is just in sort of panties and a tank top type thing. Yeah, uh, like cutoffs. And, and you and see them both just sweating, sweating. She's actually in cutoffs. She's in cutoffs. Oh, cutoffs? Okay. Yeah, she's in cutoffs. Your imagination is fantastic. <laughs> she's clearly wearing cutoffs. She's uh, not in panties. I know that. All right. I'll take you on faith there. Just but say they're yes. short things. <laughs> or, it's hard for me to do that, Beth. It's, it's not in me. But no, I, I will not. believe it's that they are some sort of shorts. She might be right about something. She's right, not in She panties. bought them at Nordstrom or something if they're cut off because she's, she's not in those designer cutoffs. Uh, anyhow, she she looks very fit, is what I'm trying to say. She's not. It's it's so hot, and they're both. Yeah. So we're getting a lot of close up of the skin, the pores, the sweat. You know, it's uncomfortably hot. They're boarded up, and uh, I don't even know if they have electricity because there are candles everywhere. I'm not sure. <laughs> That's a good. I, yeah. Uh, I think he's just doing it to creep him out. Maybe he cut. Who knows? At some point, maybe they cut the wires. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, creepy only you on the baccarat glasses. As she's coming down, I think, this uh, refrain of only you that's really spooky Yeah. in, in the uh, score. So the music that's playing is sort of this weird refrain of only mm. you. She goes yeah. to grab the figurine. He gives her a proposal. If you say that that figure is mine, I'll give you the house. Okay, I'll say that. It's mine. Rigged to like a fishing wire. Or yeah, I'm not, fishing not quite wires. sure how he had this so handy, but but he reels it back to him. It just shoots back to his hand. 
that point, she it's just no. It's beyond the house now, clearly. He has a little fit. He has like a crowbar. Or what, I'm not sure what he's wielding there. Long smashes the back rack glasses. Then he throws the little Japanese figure up in the air and swings at it baseball style so that it flies up in pieces. And it does hit Barbara in the forehead or somewhere around the eye. And she falls to the ground upstairs. This is up upstairs and he's downstairs and she, he can see over the balcony there and he's he's concerned for a minute right he runs oh and no he races up the stairs he's like barbara yeah. yeah so sorry kind of snaps out of it he's like ah yeah hurt you <laughs> yeah no way to come. but but she stands and then just kicks the shit out of him <laughs> just yeah. uh they get into another brawl and, and it's really hardcore punch kicks you know they're they're really beating up on each other and then a part of the banister has has broken away and they're up like pretty high like what? three stories or so right Are they kicking or was it just sort of like a shove shove and then sh the banister breaks and she winds up uh she does like this the trapeze artist yes they'll, they'll they'll turn and twist and catch yeah. on to the trapeze Yes. She pulls one of those maneuvers and she's hanging Yeah, she's on sort of teetering there. She can't go backward. Right. So she does this acrobatic maneuver. That's lovely, actually. <laughs> but, <laughs> but ridiculous. It's great, but it's ridiculous. She's actually upside down like a tra trapeze artist. Yeah. And the camera, her, her view of Oliver is upside down. <laughs> and he's looking very smarmy and like, well, now what you going to do? Yeah. But then and, and by the way, everything is is getting into a deeper and deeper blue light. Everything. It's almost black and white at this point, except for it's blue and white. Mm. And uh, and I, I can't I don't know how to give you the scale for how high up this shan. It's not a normal ceiling. It's it's way the hell up. Right. Like it's a long fall down. I saw in, in some of the production. There's actually a funny story about when they were yeah. filming that. uh they were suspended like 30 feet up in the air in some of the shooting. Oh, and wow. in fact, when they first got them set up there, yeah, I'm sure there were safety lines and all this stuff. Um, and, but all the setup for that, sh those shots were a lot. So DeVito mm -hmm. gets them all in place. And then to, he was, it was a joke. It's just pulling yeah. a joke on the two of them. He's like, okay, yeah. everybody break for lunch. And then he made everybody walk off set. <laughs> Yeah, and then they walked back in. He's like, "No, no, we're kidding." She sort of maneuvers herself so that she's sitting uh, in sort of a swing of the chandelier cables or whatever they are, in a less precarious position. He says to her, "I'll help you out if you just give me the house." In other words, I'll he, save. He you says that at first. Yeah, and. The answer is no, of course. And then he says, I'm going to help you whether you want to want it or not. Right. Now, in the meantime, Gavin has pulled up. Susan is just beside herself. They've locked themselves in the house. He sees them in the on the chan in the chandelier, doesn't he? Yes, because Gav uh, while while Oliver is trying to save her with his crowbar to pull it forward, he ends up grabbing the chandelier thinking he can pull it up, but it's too heavy and he ends up hanging from the chandelier as well. And they end up on either side of the chandelier sort of sitting inside of it. He says something about there are two cables that can hold 200 pounds each. So we're fine. 
And that's when she says, mm, no, I loosened the cable so I could drop the chandelier on you. And he says, nice one. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> she says, I loosened the bolt. And that's the when bolts. he says, nice one. And yeah. then they're yelling at Gavin, get the ladder, get the ladder, yeah. get the ladder. Oliver's sort of always the optimist, like, we're, we're going to be fine. And then we hear snap, snap, snap. Well, first of all, he says, through this all, I've always loved you. Yeah, there we go again. And she says, I know. <laughs> she doesn't. There's no, yeah. No reciprocal on that one. And then the snapping. And that's a pretty great um, effect with the cameras. Because we hear snap, 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 or see with each cut. And it's really exciting. You know, it's a horrible scene, but but it's shot in an exciting way. There's it's stress. Done, there's tension. It's done really well. And, and that's when it snaps and then it sort of drops down about 10 feet. And I thought it was kind of perfect that he he's so sure of everything. Oliver's always so sure. He's always right. It wasn't a short. Right? <laughs> um, and he looks at those two wires. Yeah. That you mentioned and says, ah, oh, they can hold 200 pounds a piece. Yeah. And it's right yeah. after he says that. Yeah. The whole thing snaps and collapses. And this is a great, I don't know what this effect is called, Beth, where you get from different angles, because it would just take, what, three seconds in real time. So it's from an angle, from an angle, from an angle, this, this chandelier dropping. Mm. What What is the technical term for that? I don't I, know. I don't know. It's like a montage of, of that one scene. And it's pretty dramatic. Just laid out on the terrazzo floor. This is a hard substance falling from I don't know how many feet. They're, they're going to die. And as they're laying there, ready, about to die, Oliver reaches over and touches her shoulder gently. And she reaches over after a couple of seconds and puts her her hand on his wrist. And you think, oh, you know, at the very end, they're going to reconcile. But she flips his hand away mm. <laughs> before she dies. So even in death, no. Nope. For her. Gavin and Susan make it inside and realizes right away they're dead. Yeah. And she's sobbing and uh, Gavin... The, the the pull away shot is is him sort of, she's sort of sitting there on the stairs and it looks like Gavin's consoling her. Stunning crane shot, which is way above this circle. That's the inlay and the terrazzo and then the round chandelier and then the two curled bodies toward each other of Oliver and Barbara. They look like the seraphim like on either side of one of those old clocks. Yeah. You know, yeah, they good. do. But we're back in Gavin's office. Yeah. This is uh, the close to our dark fairy tale. <laughs> yes. He says something about, you know, the short view is dog people should marry dog people, cat people should be cat people. But the ultimate point is a civilized divorce is a contradiction in terms. And then he sort of looks at the client meaningfully and he says, if you're going to go through this, be as generous as you can with your wife. You could do that. Another option is to try to reach way down and find some shred of evidence or love for this person that you loved in your youth. I like the way it's phrased there because he says the sweetheart of your youth. Mm. It could be the sweetheart, literally. Yeah. The person that you marry. Yeah. But the sweetheart could also mean your own sweet, trusting, loving nature. Your own mm. heart. Yeah. 
he gives the client this food for thought and he says, take a minute. <laughs> and so we get this lovely view out of his office window or door or whatever that is as he's smoking Danny DeVito slash Gavin and a shot of the Capitol building, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's sort of the golden hour. And we see in the reflection as Danny DeVito is like, it's a great direction, I think, cinematically, uh, looking at the shot of the Capitol building, we see in the reflection of the window the client exiting quietly. <laughs> he's, he's, he's been convinced, no, I will not pursue divorce. And Gavin's wife has called him. It's okay, bud. Okay. I'll be home soon, honey. Bye. Yeah. Love you. Miss you. Kiss, kiss, kiss. <laughs> so he has become a better man and also a better lawyer because he just convinced somebody not to pursue divorce. If you're going to do this, you're going to be as generous to your wife as you possibly can to the point where it's going to give you night sweats. Yeah. The point is, is to move you through this and help you rebuild, you know, get you in a situation where you can start rebuilding your life Mm -hmm. or think about it. Yeah. Do you think Gavin winds up with Susan? No, not at all, because he gets a phone call during one of these vignettes that, that are cutaways. And he says, newly married. I'm a different man now. And he's always giving her sweetheart talk. No, I don't think there's a romance between you Gavin don't. and Susan. Nope. I think mm-hmm. he winds up with Susan. No. I think they have a long, a long uh, what, romance. Based on what? I don't know. <laughs> They've seen the death of these two people. And, and, and Susan is crying in distress. And he gives her a hug like anybody would. But what other evidence for a romance with Susan do you have? A long engagement. Two or three years. I don't know. Why? No, he, he's on the, her, his wife calls a couple of times during this client, silent client Susan. meeting. No, no, Susan doesn't, sweet, loving no. Woman. She might be, married but her. there's no evidence whatsoever. They got married. For, this is like a year or two later, and they got married. Look, I gave you the cutoff shorts, but I'm not giving you. Nope. <laughs> nope. Just, you, just, there's, Susan will be fine nope. without Gavin. This is it. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Folks, you'll have to watch it for yourself and let us know if you think I Beth think, is right or if I'm right. Susan. But I do like the last shot of the film. Uh, Gavin flicks his cigarette out the door onto the balcony or whatever, and then it starts snowing. And you see him, you know, from an outside to interior shot, the light's going off, and he's shutting down for the night, and he's calling his wife, not Susan, Susan and saying, hey, why hun, wouldn't it be I'm on Susan? my way home. Why would he think he's married? Elkie? No, he got no. rid of Elkie. He, he tells his client he at some point Susan. that he got married. He yes. recently got married. Yes, to Susan. No. I just want to know why it wouldn't be Susan. I, I want to know what the evidence for it being Susan is. Why, why would it be? They have Susan? no relationship whatsoever. None. They share, they're trauma bonded from witnessing this. No. You can, if you read the book and report back to me. (laughs) You know what? We're going to put this in in the question of this episode. We've never done this before. I want to know, do you think he winds up with Susan? I say yes. DM us, which would be a good time to tell you how. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, So this is our call to action, action, action. You want to do it? Uh, if you want to reach us, you can reach us at celluloidpudding at gmail.com, or you can go to PudPod or Celluloid Pudding on IG. We are on Instagram, and we're also on the Twitter, although I've been really remiss in, in um, posting yeah. on Twitter. Uh, so Twitter X, whatever we're calling it now. 
But yes. uh, those are the two best ways, and you can DM us on uh, Cellulite Pudding on uh, IG. Instagram. Yeah. And yeah, that's probably where we're most active is on Instagram, but but certainly any platform. And you can just type in cellulite pudding if you can't remember all that, and we'll come up. Why do you think he can't let go? Before we close here, and before I ask you, what are you watching? Why I think from a very young age he knew what he wanted, and he went after it. He wanted to be senior partner in a law firm. He wanted the perfect wife, the perfect life, and. I think she is the perfect wife in his eyes, and he still loves her. He thinks reconciliation is possible, but she, very early on in the movie, does not want this anymore. And I think Danny DeVito's character poses to the client the question, what do you do if one person wants to do anything to keep another there, and the other person will do anything to make them leave? And that's the actually, that's, I think, right before, uh, that's right after the kids leave, I think. Yeah. That's one of those serious talks there. Yeah. You know, they say birds of a feather or it's mm -hmm. opposites attract, right? Yeah. But usually there's something something about personalities that are complementary. He's yeah. very much the planner, the, uh, you know, he has ambition. But you know what? She has ambition too. She, like, hounded that house for a year. Mm. She had to have the ambition and the patience and the where, wherewithal to – save up money to get his Morgan shipped over from England. There's a quality about her that is a risk taker, which he is not. Yeah. He's very calculated. Everything has been her risk. Yeah. Missing that ferry and staying with him. He he already was he wasn't, you know, sacrificing his ride back to college. Yeah, she bets the waitress gets the 50 bucks. She makes a bid on a, on a Shinto goddess that she didn't really know anything about, yeah. but she wanted it. When she's the house, she tell she mm -hmm. tells her daughter, "I bet you I'll get this house." Five dollars. Yep, five dollars. She have to have that one catalyst or person that's this is the risk worth worth taking, mm -hmm. it, or or that creative energy. To keep things and she has a lot of creative energy, but she also is extremely submissive to Oliver. She's the cheerleader when he's having a bad day, except that dinner party. She lets him have it, doesn't she? I think that's her turning point, maybe that dinner where he humiliates her in front of others by finishing the story and using his fake laugh. That's when she says begins. I think the wheels are starting to turn. I, she would have been a success and she would have been fine without him no matter what. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I, she didn't need Oliver Rose to. And uh, and she even puts that down away. in black and white by telling her lawyer, "I don't want anything, no mm -hmm. alimony, no lien against the the firm, nothing. I just want my house." And it is. Um, I wish Devito would direct more, but I think he's I think he's up there now. He's seventy eight or so. It's he's uh, it got nominated for several awards, and I'd even go down that rabbit hole, but. Uh... Like yeah, it million. was made for something like forty and gross two. Wait, hold on, I've written it somewhere. Let me look. Let me look. I have the two million bucks, one hundred and sixty million. Yeah, it made massive bank. So this and Throw Mama from the Train, I I love them both in different ways so much, and I love Devito acting. I love him directing and acting. Uh, yeah, I think his, this is his finest role. I think, yeah. but we have. What? It's a weird. It's a weird comparison. 
But that show, Moonlighting, from way back when, Sybil mm. Shepard and Bruce Willis had a great antagonistic chemistry. And it's very rare. I can't, you know, it's very rare to be able, be able to have the love chemistry, but also that that antagonism that's perfect chemistry as well. In this film, it's almost like they're uh, Hepburn and Tracy gone wrong and very yeah. dark and sinister place. Yeah, there, there. It's kind of that level of chemistry, and uh, anyone else would have it would have come off too funny, too funny yeah. for the kind yeah. of picture it is, too campy. Yeah, and they play it just right. The editing is superb. The pacing is superb. Broken up by those by the cautionary frame tale, frame story rather. And I loved this one scene, and I can't remember what the insults are, but they're passing each other on the stairwell. <laughs> I wrote him and down. And he's like. Horrible. You did? What are they? <laughs> I'm like that meme with the guy writing notes down. Where is it? Oh, stinking bitch, dumb bastard, slut, scum, filth. <laughs> and then she finishes with the faggot. <laughs> but they're just passing each other. In this. They cannot even walk by each other without he this He says stinking venom. bitch. He says dumb bastard. He says slut. She says scum. He, he says filth, and she uses the F word. And this is just not even with raised voices. This is just like, how are you doing? Fine. I wish you did. It, but it, it's total insults. And Susan's like <laughs> caught in between it halfway down with her little boobs. Yeah, looking appalled. Poor Susan. Just who, who lived the rest of her days uh, Married. As, uh, alone Together. without a partner because she had been scared away from nope. marriage by nope, witnessing nope. this horrible event. She and Gavin got together. All right. What are you watching? <sighs> I've been watching the most fascinating series in English. It's called Money Heist, and I forget what it's called in uh, its orig original Spanish. It's a completely different type of title, and it's about a group of individuals who are going to steal from the Royal Mint hmm. in Madrid, I think. I'm not sure where. Anyhow, I've been watching it. Uh, I, I like to watch, you know, international cinema and television in its original language and with English subtitles, but I was convinced by um, the Germans in my life to switch it to the German language and have English subtitles. But, uh, oh, it's a remarkably well-done series, and I think there are five seasons, and I'm on the second season now and totally hooked. Cool. And you? You know, I used to really be into true crime, and I, I kind yeah. of still am. I, I try to follow some of the you know, the true crime stories that are going on, and there's some big trials going on, the Delphi case uh, yeah. trial, Idaho murders. They, they haven't started the trial yet, either one of them, but recent documentary. I wish I could figure out uh, the name of it. Hang on. Cyber Sleuth. The Idaho murders. Cyber Sleuth? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Three-part docuseries unravels the surging world of online sleuths who have taken on the savage slaying of the four University Idaho students. But, mm. um, you know, be, the culture is is not always great and and mm. not always factual. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Repeat that again. Not yeah. really dealing with facts. Yeah. And I I think that I think some creators have learned that. Hey, if I don't focus, if I don't worry about the facts and just focus on what what gets me clicks, um, that'll make my channel successful. So I'm not really interested in just sort of. What's clickbait, isn't it? I promise you something, I don't deliver it. Yeah, 
And I just, I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, you're all trash now, <laughs> which is yeah. not fair to, there's uh, several people on there that actually do good and, and professionals, retired professionals that actually do mm. put out good content and good analysis mm. on cases and stuff. But I'm not picking on any other creators other than, yeah. uh, and I'm not really picking on, it's just a, I am at this point where I've become very critical of a lot of the true crime uh, channels yeah. out there and I'm just kind of done with it. So everybody out there, thank you so much for being with us. Um, watch something different. Read something new. Take care of each other. <laughs>